in the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Swiss Army Man. My name's Tom Chick. I am here to discuss Swiss Army Man with Christian McCrawlsky. It's Christian Dern. And with a Swiss Army Man tagline, two, maybe three, we'll see how many of them there are, Kelly Wand. It's like Castaway, but with a louder volleyball. Good. I like it, Kelly Wand. I feel like you're just getting warmed up, though. Finally, a movie where Daniel Radcliffe has magic powers. <laughs> I, I, that, I would have saved that one for last. I mean, out of those two. Yeah. What else do you got? This is the last one I have. Mm-hmm. It's like Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, but without the last shot. Thing is, he lost me on that one. Did you get that one? Ah, oh, dude, we've got over this before. <laughs> so upsetting right now. I feel like I just got a demerit. <laughs> There's only one thing with occurrence in the title, so that you always know. And owls. What? Come on, Twilight Zone. Is it the, the one where the of... guy's getting hanged, and then at the end he he oh then and then his rope breaks, and all this shit happens to him, and then at the end uh, you find out he was just getting hanged, and then that was like his fantasy. Oh, like Jacob's Ladder. <sighs> well, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> See? Still. All right. Uh, yeah, I was thinking, isn't there isn't there like an incident at Oxbow Ridge, kind of western thing? Uh, the thing I just said. No, what? Owl, Ox- you said Owl Creek. There's something about an incident at an Oxbow Ridge or some such. Dingus, do you know there, what I'm talking there's about? A pic- there's, I, I, I thought it was an incident at Hang Rock, but it's a picnic. It's not an incident. Bro, that's Peter Weir, right. That, uh, and that really happened. It's not their fantasy. Uh, right. But, but they didn't know they were in a Peter Weir movie. So they're right. bad. Yeah. How does like, anyone like forget? the people to- in Alien. Hmm. Um, Oxbow Ridge is what you think Owl Creek Bridge is called? Yeah, there's something about an incident at Oxbow Ridge, which I think is a western. I think it's, called the, I think it's called the Oxbow Incident, isn't it? Ah, very good, Dingus. I, I think Dingus called it, and I, I win. <sighs> this is a disaster. <laughs> well, in that case, let's talk about what movie we saw this week. Dingus. Wait, wait, I have a quiz. Oh, oh yeah, Kelly uh, Wand, uh, perform a quiz on me and Dingus. All right, there's a t- you have to figure out the connection between this and the movie. Oh, good lord! Okay, and you hey, also wait. have to name the movie. between this and what movie? The one we did this week. Maybe Dingus should tell the listeners what that is before before you spoil it. No. Okay, go ahead. All right, go ahead. If they clicked on this, that means they know which movie. <laughs> <we did. laughs> just go to my website. I'll just click on any one of them at random. Wait, what are they talking about? <laughs> All right, so we, you say something, and we figure out the connection to the movie Swiss Army Man. I kind of did, even at the beginning, spoil. You also said that yeah. the movie. <laughs> you think that's the, okay, that's the quiz, listeners. Which movie are we doing? <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> did they get it? Yes, they win. All right, good work. All right, so now, Colin, you do a quiz for me and Dingus. You say something, it's and we're going to have to figure out what it rela- how it relates to Swiss Army Man. Yeah, and which movie it is. It's a two-part theory. <laughs> <laughs> In the year 2058, the Earth will soon be uninhabitable after the irreversible effects of pollution and global warming! Exclamation point. <clears throat> that narrows it down. Professor John Robinson... 
lead scientist at the Jupiter 2 mission, will lead his family to the habitable planet Alpha Prime to prep it for colonization. Lost in space? Yeah! Oh, nice. Is it the one with... Uh... Wait, Wait, what, which... which uh, well, it's... I mean, there's only one with, Lost in um... Space movie. There was a TV show. Lacey Chabert. Yeah, with Joey. Is it the one with Joey? Oh, Dingus goes straight to Friends. I go straight to Lacey Chabert. Oh. I would have gone to Robbie the Robot... But he's not in it. Uh, Heather Graham is it? Heather Graham in it? She's got a little that. Heather Graham Murray. Heather Graham and Lacey Chabert. That's quite the two for and Mimi Rogers. If you want to go there, Kelly Wand who and Matt Blanc. That's Dingus, that's what Dingus just said when Dingus said Joey. Yeah. Oh, did he? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Dingus. Sorry. I know him by his. Uh... Uh, right. True story. A there's there's a sequence in Lost in Space where uh, Matt LeBlanc has a big old fight scene, and he's like shooting aliens with a laser gun or something like that. But it's a big fight sequence, and before the fight sequence, he lowers like the blast shield on his helmet, so the whole time you can't see his face. And the reason mm-hmm. is because they didn't have Matt LeBlanc when they were shooting that sequence. So oh. <laughs> I can't believe I know that. Why do I know that? I must have listened to it. That was before superhero movies made every movie like that. Exactly. Right. Right. But uh, I never – the show, I never got why they didn't just kill Doc Smith because he was always fucking him up and ruining shit and making him stranded and betraying them. Yeah. You would think they would get wise to that sooner or later, right? And Gilligan should have died too. Okay, so, what? How am I supposed to relate that to Swiss Army Man? Because they're Swiss Family Robinson. Their names were Robinson. But they had nothing to do with Switzerland. No, but Swiss Army Man doesn't need, also doesn't have anything to do with Switzerland. So they have that <laughs> – oh, Wow. Oh, it's got Swiss title. So did I win or not? I'm not sure. Yeah. Sweet. Sorry, Dingus. It was just very close. Dingus said very disinterested. Uh, the rules were a little loosey-goosey. Look, I'm not a rules guy. <laughs> well, all right, Dingus, get in here. You be our rules guy and tell the listeners what movie we saw, but Dingus, don't spoil anything about the movie just yet. All right, well, this week we saw Swiss Army Man. Hmm. A 2016 movie about why, on average, men have shorter lifespans. It was written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who collectively refer to themselves as Daniels. Any relation to Jeff? (laughs) No, but it stars Daniel Radcliffe Mm -hmm. and Paul Dano, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Shane Carruth. Ah, ooh. That was Winstead? Because I, I was watching it thinking, oh, Brie Larson. <laughs> hmm. Seriously. You always think that. I do always think that, but I, I seriously thought, She's oh, in I, mo- I've seen a Brie Larson performance, but no, yep. You get them mixed up? I do, That's all the time, I know. Brie Larson and Winstead? Yeah, and I huh. just saw Brie Larson in a movie that we'll talk about during the 3x3, three three. but uh, yeah, I completely thought I was watching Brie Larson. If you'd asked me... That's a compliment to both of them. Mm, yeah, okay. Eh, well, hmm. okay. you're pretty big on the Brie Larson. Who There's isn't? no competition. Yeah, right. Well, I used to get her and Allison Brie mixed up till I saw them. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not an easy one to... to <laughs> then get. I went, yeah, different. Right, very much so. <laughs> not the same person. Yeah. This is cleared up, people. Yeah. And everyone just stared at me. Well, Dingus, what rating is this movie? I, I can't... Is it oh, PG, uh, yeah. PG-13? What, what do we got here? I can't wait to hear this. Uh, Swiss Army like, Man is rated R. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> There's no reason. No what? reason. No reason. There, there, no reason. No reason. There's Kids none. could totally watch this movie. They were so careful with that swimsuit edition. Uh, right. Anyway, it is rated R for language and sexual material. That's uh, it. Okay, I was hoping they'd be a bit more explicit, but yeah, I'm down with that. Sexual material. I would have added water sports, cross-dressing, and Paul Dano getting hurt again. <laughs> is that a There Will Be Blood reference? He gets hurt in every movie. Love he and Friendship? Gets, uh, they hurt him in Love and Friendship. Flawless? Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Paul Dano. The title takes place after he dies on it. Oh. I know. It's sad. Speaking of sad, uh, Swiss Army Man didn't do so well critically. 67% of the reviews are positive, which means 33% were negative. Uh, well, here, here's bad, Kelly Wong. I don't know that bad, but this isn't good. On Metacritic, the average rating uh, from various reviews, 64 out of 100. Oh, that's way worse. Way, way worse. Let's even get worse than that. Let's see how it did at the box office. Uh, well, it made no money because it wasn't that kind of movie. Right. Very limited release. It, it never hit more than like 600 theaters. It made a few million. Uh, I'm guessing based on <laughs> based on the fact that Daniel Radcliffe was in it, like I wonder how many people thought, oh, I like that Harry Potter kid. I'm going to go see him in this comedy. I don't know. Uh, so uh, that's the numbers for Swiss Army Man. Kelly Wand, why don't you give us the words for Swiss Army Man? <laughs> well, they were words, too, what you did. But I have numbers also. Really? But wait. Okay. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe – well, I just meant they're in the words. But Daniel Radcliffe doesn't open movies, or he does open movies. Like how did uh, The Lady in Yellow do? Or whatever it's called. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Woman in Black. I forgot her color. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know how well that did. I I never Aren't seen there it. Two of them? I haven't seen it. I didn't are, either. I don't think he was in the. Was he in the sequel? I doubt he was in the sequel. I could be wrong. How did Horns do? Oh my god, I hate that movie. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> I just saw him in a movie called Imperium, which I didn't care for. Uh-huh. Where he he infiltrates. Is it science fiction. No, you would think, right? It sounds like a science fiction title. There's no. real life Imperium. Uh, he in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, it does sound like yeah. It's. I thought they all had to be galactic in size. You would even. think, right? Like, there's no terrestrial imperium. That makes no sense. He infiltrates uh, neo Nazis. It's just an empire. Shaves his head. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So it's like that Tom Berenger movie. I don't know what that. It's like Green Room, but with, with Harry Potter. It's Green Room where Harry Potter sneaks in. He's our Anton. Yeah. Oh, Kelly Wand, you made everyone sad. So now make them happy. Make them happy even... with a Swiss Armopsis. That's my guess That's for the, the name of the Swiss Army Man synopsis. Uh, I'll take it. Rock and roll. A note floating in a bottle's all. I'm about to hang myself on an island nowhere near here. Regards, Paul Dano. P.S. When my limbs were getting cut off in Looper, I wasn't acting. Oh, yeah. Paul Dano's hanging himself in a case. That's another one, Tom. Yeah, terrible one. They pile up if you think about it. Yeah. There's a big one I'm forgetting where he just gets clubbed. Well, there Although will be blood. Besides, oh, yeah, I'm there's finished. another one. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's another clubbing one. Paul Dano's hanging himself in a cave, but since he's still technically on vacation, he does it on a beach facing the soothing waves. Suddenly he hallucinates that Harry Potter's wearing a suit. 
I look over at Aiden Quinn sitting beside me and go, I'm going to pretend this is now you see me too character after he fell out of the plane and the ocean washed away his goatee. Aiden Quinn sighs at me, then Madonna and slouches off to his projectionist booth. Dano tries to resurrect Harry Potter by making him fart, but it doesn't work, so he throws him back and resumes hanging himself. While strangling to death again, he suddenly thinks about farts again, and this makes the rope break. Retrieving Harry Potter from the ocean, he rides him farting like a jet ski across the ocean while Fassbender watches from a nearby lighthouse and writes in a logbook, Today's date, Potter and Dano. Um, let me get back to you. Downstairs, Vikander pounds on the door and goes, My character's pregnant again! <laughs> I have a good feeling about this one. Hello? Fastbender rolls his eyes and goes, Yeah, I can't hear you. Raining pretty hot up here. I look over at the SOS written in sand on the seat beside me and go, if you're cast away, another good use of dead bodies cannibalism. The tide rolls its eyes across the sand. When it recedes, the words on the sand are all Swiss Army Mopsis. When the tide washes up again, it adds a period. Despite having the entire American coastline to choose from, for some reason, Potter chooses to ride Dano's farts to a barren stretch of land featuring cliffs and impenetrable forests to spend the remainder of the movie in. He drags Potter up some cliffs on his back, then to celebrate, falls into a pit with him. For story reasons, now when he presses Potter's stomach instead of farting, it makes him talk and vomit potable water. Despite the title, Potter's American doesn't have any military training and has the sexual inclinations of a 13-year-old. I relate to all three. There's only one brunette girl neighbor back home Paul Dano liked from afar, so he keeps a picture of her on his phone. Although a farting zombie is the only person you shouldn't be embarrassed to tell you keep a picture of a girl you don't know on your phone, Dano decides it's simpler just to tell Potter that the phone's Potter's and the girl's his girlfriend. A swimsuit issue keeps giving Potter boners, so Dano starts wearing a blonde wig so Potter can practice walking towards girls once they're back on the mainland they're already on. Dano's wig gives them both the courage they need to turn Potter into a pogo stick and escape the pit. To celebrate the boner, they fall off a bridge. Although <laughs> Dano probably got to the island earlier by swimming, now he forgets how to, but luckily survives by kissing Potter since the water inside Potter's lungs is now air. There's a similar bit in a movie trailer I saw for something called Mrs. Peregrine's Halfway House for Tim Burton's fuckwits. Just as I'm about to stand and announce this resemblance to everyone in my theater in the hopes of starting a riot, like Tom did when Baby booed him, Princess Leah leans over to me and goes, Guess where I put those magic harmonicas the Jedi used in Phantom Menace to swim down to Jar Jar's magical kingdom right before they shot that scene? Oh. Um, what? I can't help how she talks. Just worried where she put them. Of all, I have a bad feeling, etc., Meanwhile, in the Opsis, Dano and Potter make their way from the slow-motion underwater footage to yet more forest. Suddenly, night falls, so a bear attacks them until they fall out of a tree. Then it attacks them again and starts to drag Dano to nearby San Diego. As a hail berry, Dano confesses to Potter that he made up anything he said about knowing any actual girls and also Potter having a cell phone contract. This makes the bear lose interest. I lean over to Bernie's corpse and whisper... I know which character I am. Dano finds the house of the girl from his phone by falling down a cliff into the backyard of it. Potter joins him. Yes, have some. <laughs> 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 it was 
is not a quote. It is not a viable reference. What are you talking about? It is isn't. Talking about talking about cookies, apparently. Jesus. Not a viable reference. Tom eating cookies. Ridiculous. You don't, you don't know. Yes, have some. <laughs> the cookie part's this, the enigma. An ambulance shows up to give Dano a damp towel for his shoulders. Dano's dad walks to the ambulance on foot because he heard his son was alive, so Dano tricks him by hiding behind the ambulance for a couple seconds while the crowd nearby doesn't care. One of the paramedics examines Potter for a second using a stethoscope and goes, Yeah, the farting one here is dead. So they zip him up into a guitar case. Suddenly the brunette girl steals Dano's phone, learns Dano's password, and sees her picture on it. She's all, my attitude towards this desert castaway is ambiguous. Her husband shrugs. A police car pulls up. A cop gets out and handcuffs Dano. He's all, you're under arrest for having a creepy phone picture. Dano's all, wait, I don't care about that stupid girl anymore. I have a new friend. He kills some people, steals the ambulance, and carries Potter back into the jungle while the cops and the girl and her husband and his dad all chase him. The beach is a lot closer this time. Dano cradles Potter's head and goes, come on, dude. If you don't fart for these cops and the girl we love, you'll both make me look <laughs> You'll make me look bad. <laughs> he doesn't say both. That's a farce. Dano's dad looks away in shame that the corpse's son's fondling isn't farting. Finally, Dano gets up and goes, Buck, I guess wearing that wig was all in my head and I got here by conventional means. The girls all nope. She nods at the ocean. Everyone turns and watches proudly as Potter evades the terrors of cremation by jet ski farting out to the deep ocean where his body will triumphantly be consumed by sharks or just float around. Dano smiles sadly. It's been a whimsical morning since he left for work. The end. <laughs> Kelly Wan, there were, lots, there were lots of parts of that that I laughed at, but I was indeed eating cookies and I had my microphone muted. I apologize. Nah. I didn't know what to do. It's kind of a short Well, you pretty much just... Are you one of the writers on this movie? Ooh. Yeah, I think you might be. That's the thing. You just He's one of the Daniels. He's a Daniel. You're a Daniel, aren't you? Are you Kelly Daniels? I wish. He's... he's I'm not that well-dressed. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly Wan, this seems like a movie right up your alley, so to speak. Yeah, I thought it was great. I wish I'd watched it with the MPAA. But, um, you know, oh, go ahead. What would you have told them? I would have said this is rated G. Go from there, and everything else should be based around that. Like, well, my son certainly movie. wanted to know uh, if he could he if he could watch this thing. Why did really? he ask that, Dingus? Yeah, what made it? How did it? What put it on his radar? Well, uh, you know, he he always knows what movie I'm doing uh, for the week. Um, so he asked. Uh, what movie are you guys doing? I told him it's uh, Swiss Army Man. And he immediately said, oh, is that the one where the guy befriends the corpse? <laughs> See, I think it's a great kid's movie, and I'm serious. This um, is a- and so he had, he had a bunch of questions about it. Um, After you'd you know, seen I, it or before you'd seen it? Uh, about one and a half times through. We, uh, My son and I uh, go for a dog walk every day. Um so uh, he had, had questions about this movie, and he's usually curious about the movies that I go to see. He wants to know, is this appropriate for me? Can I go? Can I see it with you? That kind of thing. And he was particularly interested because even though he has not seen the Harry Potter movies yet, because he's still reading the books, 
and and we kind of insist that he read the books before he sees the movies, he still was interested in what this movie was. So I explained to him a lot of the different things that were going on in the movie, and he kept asking questions and more and more questions, which kind of led me to an interesting interpretation of what the movie is about for me. Um, but all that is to say that he knew more about the movie than I knew going in. And then just to cap off this whole thing, this morning when I, I drove him to school, uh, I got him out of the car uh, and got his stuff for him. I happened to um, experience a moment of uh, intestinal expression, and, uh, and he kind of looked at me and went, nice, Manny. I think your son's going to have to see this movie then, Dingus. <laughs> it's a feel? great kids movie. It's totally a fine, awesome kids movie. Um, I think it's. I think it is actually a good idea because I think, for me, um, and I, I haven't expressed my feelings about this, but I, I really love this thing. And um, one of the reasons I love it is I think that it has embedded in it an allegory about parenting. Well, sure. It's, it's sort of about how you teach someone what life is. I mean, it's I don't right. Yeah, it's how you teach somebody what life is, how you teach them how to talk, how you how you manage um, their ability to understand discretion, and most importantly, how you do this uh, if you feel go. if you feel yeah, and how you let them go as well. But also, how you do this if you feel that you have been raised, if you don't understand how you've been raised, or if you've been raised in an environment that might not have taught you how to be a, a decent parent or might not have taught you how to do those things. And I think that, that there are these great elements in this movie that, that, that speak to that. And so that my son is asking me about those things and I'm trying to gently talk about them as we go on this, you know, walk that we always go on. Um, really reminded me of a lot of things that Hank is, is learning about himself and learning about being a parent kind of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, would you then, would you really show him to, to your, what, 10, 11? He's 11. Would you really show this to your 11-year-old son? Uh, I don't think he's, I don't think we're quite there yet. I don't what? think his mom, I definitely, well, I don't think his mom would approve of it. Um, oh. it but I think that, I think the movie takes great pains to avoid some of those traps. I mean, there's a, I think there's a reason, and, you know, why that? Why they use a Sports Illustrated thing instead of like a Playboy or a Penthouse or a Hustler? Um, you know, because a lot of those those scenes in where he's created his own village and the Fern River Cafe um, remind me of like hideouts that I had as a kid when I was growing up in Colorado, and where we would hide our magazines. Um, they were not Sports Illustrated, um, so that he that they're they're being so careful to use a swimsuit magazine instead of uh showing uh, actual pornography is is interesting to me because I, I i do wonder if i mean they weren't trying to avoid an r they were they weren't careful with their language they weren't careful with their content but it is interesting to me that they were careful with um how they expressed sexuality uh and i i find that actually really endearing um and not something that i think uh he should um, that I would protect my son from because I think this is really instructive actually mm-hmm. the way it talks about masturbation the way it talks about relationships um, those things I think are things that are valuable yeah I don't see what damage it does compared to what it would give him and if I was a kid and I'd seen this movie I think I would have really enjoyed it 
it's it's just weird. You know, it's weird and gross and scary in some ways. That's but why I don't I think enjoy it. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I don't. I don't think it's damaging. No. What, what do you think, Tom? Uh, this isn't for me. I mean, I appreciate what uh, the, my 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 overwhelming thought while I was watching this was: How the hell does this get made? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and but that's it, you know. Not uh, only it, that, how do you convince these guys to do it? I, I actually don't doubt. I mean, Paul, Paul Dano, and this is one of the things I admired about it. Uh, I think Daniel Radcliffe is doing whatever he can to break into like serious acting, and, and he wants to do bold, artistic things like this, yeah. like weird art house things. I just saw him in a movie where he shaves his head and goes undercover as a neo-Nazi, which it didn't work, uh, him doing that. So I, I'm not surprised Daniel Radcliffe is doing this, and I'm not supply, surprised Paul Dano is doing this. Because I think Paul Dano loves these kind of challenges, and I, yeah. my favorite thing about this movie, which I didn't care for, was was watching him attack this part with relish. I mean, he really, he really yeah. seemed to be enjoying himself. He really seemed to care about the material. Uh, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that these these Daniel kids who are kids, I don't know how they are, these these people who wrote and directed this movie, hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if getting him on board was kind of instrumental to this getting made. Uh, is sort of selling mm. it. It was a Sundance thing, but I can imagine it being handed around as here's our, our Paul Dano project. Uh, you know, very art house. Um, He's really good at it, and he plays like a, I thought a, a, a surprisingly fleshed out kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's great in it, and uh, yeah, and I, you know, just bless his heart because that's what I most got out of it. But but to me, and I love Dingus to hear you uh, describe it this way, Kelly Wand. I'm not the least bit surprised that you would be into it because as I'm sitting there watching it, I'm going, "Yep, yep, Kelly's having a heck of a time." Uh, yeah, <laughs> I kind of felt, and I realize this is going to sound a little dismissive, and I think this says more about how kind of I don't know hoity-toity I am, but I kind of felt for me, it just felt like lowbrow Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman. Um, and, no, that's not a bad. That's not a bad analogy. Yeah. yeah, and and I just I what I like about Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman is that they're not lowbrow. If I want lowbrow, they're the Farrelly brothers. Or uh, so it was just a weird combination that didn't necessarily work for me. I don't abs- absurdism too. Uh, I have a weird relationship with. I don't know why some absurdist stuff works for me and why other doesn't. Um, that's how it always is, though. I think because. Like we, what's that Ben Stiller movie where he hunts the aliens, The Watch or or Night Watch? Right, End The Watch. Watch. Yeah, yeah. Like that to me wasn't funny at all, but like Twenty One Jump Street was hilarious, and I saw them like within a week of each other, and I couldn't really explain why one worked. I mean, I guess you're not really talking about comedy per se, but it's just it's a subject. It's it's everything hitting you at the same time too. Like well, no, if other things are bugging you about the movie, like you're gonna go yeah. Like uh, lo- like the lobster is about stuff that mm. you're really interested in. The lobster, though, exactly, and and like a uh, Twenty Two Jump Street and the Watch, those are just st- straight up like studio comedies. Those are straight up comedies. Absurdism is something like the lobster or uh, you know Quentin Dupuis movies, Wrong Cops and Rubber. Yeah. I love those right. movies. Uh, this they- is more magical realism, I would think. Um, okay, I could I could see using that, but there, there's a lot in this. It's utterly absurd, though, in that. It's one. Ma- so this is also going to sound hoity-toity, but there's a there's a, a French playwright named oh, is it Jean? It's a French a French playwright named Genet who has this uh, play called The Maids. That if you do college theater, like you know, kids yeah. in college love doing productions of The Maids, and I doubt they have any idea what's going on. I certainly don't. And it's just these two crazy chicks who are maids and 
France, uh, talking to each other for, you know, 90 minutes or however long it goes. And at the end, they murder the woman they work for. And that's it. I never understood what the heck was going on. Uh, <laughs> the maids never worked for me because it's just too – like it's so focused on these two people. Something like, like when Quentin Depew does absurdist stuff with rubber or wrong cops, there's this great – variety of characters and kinds of things going on and it's not just two women on stage talking and i kind of got a maid's vibe from this and that it's so focused on these two characters and there was just kind of nothing really to dazzle me the way that rubber or wrong cops or kelly wand lobster and you're right like lobster is something that well i don't know about everybody but but lobster has this kind of universe everybody understands the complications of trying to be in love um right that's kind of true right. of this, too, though. I mean, well, not everybody understands what it's like to, like you, Dingus, uh, be the ward of a, of a developing person, like be in charge of how does this person know how to talk and what to think and what to say and how do, how do I answer this person's awkward questions? Uh, that's not something that Kelly Wand and I have, have ever dealt with. So maybe that's no. part of my issue with why this kind of bounced off me uh, is unlike mm. Lobster, I just didn't have that touch, that, that point of, of commonality. I didn't have that touchstone. Um, but also, well, I, I was, uh, it's like, I think Ding, it's like, it's also not dark though. Like the lobster, yeah, yeah, yeah. those movies are really dark. So it's like, it almost really, like, it literally is like a great, like introduction to absurdism for kids. Yeah. Cause when, when we were kids, all, all I really had that was kind of absurd, absurdist that was like really easy to access was Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And th- that's just pretty dark too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like they seem kind of mean in a, in a in a way that was interesting to me as a kid, and like this is way this is has way lighter touch than that is like seeing in the rain. And same with rubber, like uh, rubber and rot, like Quentin Depew stuff is is ultimately kind of dark as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, that might be it as well. Is I need a so maybe I need a bit of a bite. More, and, yeah, <laughs> my absurdism. Right, like it leads you to be a little bit more cruel, maybe. <laughs> Right, because it reminded me of the Christopher Durang play, but even Durang stuff's kind of it's super dark. Right. So it's like yeah, yeah. a Durang absurdist right, right. Uh, souffle. Like, that's the Durang, thing that maybe I wasn't. Durang is a good connection, actually. I actually really like that. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's why I thought Tom would like it more. But it is kind of – it's very light. I, I, think it's li- I think it's L-I-T-E light. Yeah. I mean, it's that it's that absurdism light. I mean, my my kid has uh, been introduced to the ideas of absurdism basically through uh, Bill Watterson. But you know, if you read Calvin and Hobbes, there's a lot of absurd elements in a lot of Calvin's imaginary um, like space bands, kind of things that he's going through, and all in all of his weird ideas and the weird ideas that are introduced in that comic. And this is something that my son and I read all the time. Um, so he's got this idea of what this absurd um, meta – not meta, but uh, extra world might be. Uh, so talking to him about this and then kind of trying to describe what absurd of it absurdism is and trying to describe to him what magical realism is uh was kind of a pleasure actually um you know i I have to admit the first time through this movie especially the first 20 minutes or so i was kind of uh more along tom's way of viewing it i I was ready to turn it off Uh, i was getting uh, you know i watched it with uh with our friend alexandra and she was like this movie's kind of making me queasy um (laughs) (laughs) And it was having some of the same effect on me. 
Um, but watching it, watching the rest of it, uh, and then watching it another time through, um, I started to get more of a feel for it, and uh, and definitely, I, I, I don't know, I just appreciate so much how committed the two of them are, um, and I loved that that this feel of of what the movie has to say about uh, conditional love versus unconditional love, and how those things. Um, uh, can meld and become one or the other. Uh, and then that feeling of, of kind of understanding what he's doing as he's raising this guy uh, really made me fall in love with this. You do kind of have to be on board with the idea that bodily functions are, are funny. Like that that's kind of a prerequisite. If, if, you can't, right. if you can't tap into that kind of juvenile mindset, which is where Kelly Wand lives, uh, I think that immediately is going <laughs> to be an obstacle for you. I can imagine. I live there and I... I also love to me it's it's funny it's even funnier that it's embarrassing like it's and so well, that's what makes it funny yeah yeah I mean that's the I think the, well it sounds funny too but the fact that it's like oh my god that's the worst thing that's ever happened and everybody's <laughs> doing it is always interesting <laughs> to me I love that kind of stuff so was that Alicia Vikander uh, making that observation just now Kelly Wong <laughs> <laughs> see she farted too much though and that's why she was having her problems uh, Dingus, you must have delighted in telling your son there were a lot of Jurassic Park references in this. Um, I actually didn't tell him that because I I think that that would be a lovely thing for him to discover when he actually watches the movie. At some point. <gasps> Wait, he hasn't seen Jurassic Park? <laughs> what? Wow. No, uh, to discover the, the Jurassic Park references because his son loves Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, he, my, my son loves Jurassic Park. He knows the theme song. He would instantly recognize that, and he would love that line, you know, you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. I mean, I think he would love that kind of thing. Um, so I was getting those in trouble are, for Those are the kind of details I, I didn't tell him about this movie, because when he eventually sees it, um, I think that would be a fun thing for him to get to discover. And I, you know, I would love to be able to sit there with him and see the two of them start to hum that theme and him go, hey, what? Uh, that would be a lovely thing to discover with him. So yeah, th- those little types of details I, I left. I left out the Jurassic Park thing. How would you guys? And doesn't hmm? uh, doesn't, Harry, doesn't Harry Potter's character he remembers Jurassic Park too? So that's like it adds to the kid kidness. Well, I, I don't. I think that's part of what's going on. I, I think it's. Um, I think it's more more has to do with how Hank. And Manny's thoughts commingle, and how Hank's uh, thoughts kind of drive him in a way. Um, I don't. I don't know that he necessarily remembers those things so much as he's been incepted. Uh, maybe because he picks up language fast. All right, sorry, Tom. Well, that, that, you know, he's that's one of his powers. And one of the things I didn't like about the movie is that they have to make obvious that you're like a multi-purpose tool. Yeah, I already got the joke. I, I, I mean, I get the title. No, it's a title. Have to tell me again. Um, but yeah, I think it is. I think it's one of his abilities that uh, that he can accept thoughts um, from Hank. But he has to keep saving Hank, so he has to use his body in different ways. Like it's their plot points. Well, Hank is using his body until the end. Hank is Hank is figuring those things out. Hank is using him, and then I mean that's part of that whole thing I was talking about about conditional love versus unconditional love. You know, um, you know, you know. At first, 
Hank is just ha- has this friend that he's got with him because of the things that he can do for him. And the various things that he can do for him, he discovers as he goes along. These aren't these aren't acts of will on Manny's part. You know, he's being poked and prodded and made to do things based on what Hank needs and what Hank desires and what you know, you know Hank's thoughts. And it's not until the end that, um, or until close to the end, that Manny you know develops his own sense of being able to do something, and then Hank you know moves beyond conditional love to unconditional love. But it is like when you have a kid and you find you keep having a kid, you, you get to have you, there's the activities you can do with them open up like as yeah. a son. Maybe. Right. No, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, how would you guys feel about a round of good writing, bad writing in regard to this? Movie? Oh, I always love it. Dingus, you're on board. Good writing, bad writing. You okay with that? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Uh, real quick, the disclaimer. Good writing, bad writing is not to be used in any fiduciary, financial, academic, or medical capacity. It is strictly a subjective enterprise based on the perspective of one person with an advanced degree in an unrelated field, but from an accredited institution of higher learning that happens to be Ivy League. Although the findings of good writing, bad writing are negotiable, all decisions are final, official, and binding. All right, here's a line. Dingus, you go first. Is this good writing or bad writing? Before the internet, every girl was a lot more special. I didn't really care for that. What? Why not? I mean, whoops! I'm not saying you're right or wrong. <laughs> well, why didn't you? Why didn't you? I was like gonna that? say good writing. Because I, I like that line as well. The thing is, why did not that not work for you? Uh, I don't know. It's it's a good point. It's true. No, it it feels weirdly sexist to me. I don't know, and I didn't care for it. I, I don't say how that is different from the magazines that I grew up with necessarily. Um, you know. We had we had uh, various types of porn magazines that friends of mine and I, uh, you know, might have boosted from stores or taken from various fathers and uh, hidden in cave. We we literally had a cave where we hid a couple of these things. Um, I don't understand why that. Uh, it just seems a little too trite to me. Uh, I do love, and I, we are of the age where we've seen huge changes in media Porn and, that, and well that also goes with, with pornography is the dissemination of pornography right. and how easy it is to get and i remember and this is what it made me think of and actually this line I'm, i never would have thought of this but this line put it in my head i remember working at the library of i must have been in i don't know seventh or eighth grade and i was a nerdy kid who when everybody else went on recess i had a little job in the library i don't know filing books or arranging the card catalogs or whatever but i remember stacking, once stacking probably stacking books horizontally like vertically actually I uh, don't know what that's a reference to, but I'm sure I did some of that, Dingus. Yeah. Uh, I remember once filing some magazines away, and in the back of it must have been a Time magazine. It was a major magazine. There was a picture of, I think it was Cheryl Teagues in a very see-through mm. bathing suit. Uh, and it was just like a celebrity profile, and I don't, I don't know what it was. And I, I was just so aroused by that that I tore it out of the magazine and and oh, yeah. had no degree of shame. I mean, I, I, I had no short. I was ashamed of what I was doing, but I tore it out of the magazine, and I wasn't. I, I hadn't discovered masturbation yet. I didn't know what this feeling was that I was experiencing with this pe- picture of being able to see Cheryl Teague's nipples through her bathing suit. But I kept it <laughs> hidden, and I kept that thing hidden for a long time. And I, mm-hmm. and it was, I, you know, and it, it's like Cheryl Teague's breasts right then were hugely important to me. They were super special. And I don't know, like, do kids feel that way now? And 
you, you, you accidentally Google breasts all the time. I don't know. Um, but I like that And you have line. to make that decision comparing something out of a magazine, something you never would normally do. Well, exactly. Like, it was a lot of effort. And I, I really right. – was, was, I was terrified that I would come into work one day at the library on recess or whatever, and the lady running the library would be holding that magazine and saying, Tom, did you do this? <laughs> I was going to be accountable yeah. for it. And they would then know <laughs> that I ripped out a picture of Cheryl Teagues. And then it would get out – you know, my mom would be told and you know, every, I would get in trouble with the principal that being said, I would never go back to the way it was, but I do feel bad for today's kids that they don't have to – they don't have that rite of passage where right. they have to get really resourceful, right. like Swiss Army Man. Yeah. So I, re- I remember the very first magazine with a naked woman I ever saw. Uh, I remember the very first moment that happened, and I, I wouldn't say that I know who that model was in that Playboy magazine. I just remember that Playboy magazine, but it doesn't make – Every girl a little less special. I don't I, now that the internet exists. I, I, I mean, the I point just think being it's because you would line, but I don't think it makes any sense. The, the point being thing is, you, you and me and Kelly Wan wouldn't understand what it's like to grow up uh, where oh, pornography right. is that easy. I mean, we don't. That, that's kind of the point. Is that we, for us, it seems like women would have been more not women, but but our first exposure to sexuality would have been more special and more particular. Whereas and there now, were also fewer of them. Like, we only had Cheryl Teagues and, like, a handful of others. And now you, there's just a new one every second. It's just – there's just – there is no spe- – like, I can't – there's you're, – you're, the five, the top five is now, like, a top 50. In terms I of, think like, it's a line that appears good on the surface. I don't – I just don't believe in it. Well, thing is, I'm afraid you're outnumbered. So, uh, okay. unfortunately, that one does pass muster just on the podcast. Remember, no one's betting on this, but that, that was the official mm-hmm. finding there. Uh, I think so, he meant it as a sweet line, too, even. I don't know. Yeah. I like well, it. I think, I, think it's, I think it's about the character more than it is about women. Um, so I understand that. I just, uh, I just I think, think it's, it's about the internet. Yeah. And well, just... Kelly Wan, let me throw this line at you. Good well, writing or bad writing? Sorry. Are you ready? Here, here we go. go ahead, Kelly go. Wan. Moving on. Yeah. Good writing or bad writing? I think your penis is guiding us home. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Sure. So that's fine good writing. writing. Okay, good writing. Dingus, I yeah. think your penis is guiding us home. Good writing or bad writing? Oh, I thought you were saying that to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't care for any of the penis stuff. Because that what? was – So, see, so I'm no with – I'm with Dingus in that I feel that was just that, that sort of example of you have to think that bodily functions, erections are funny. And I, you know, it was a little bit too juvenile for me. So for me, it didn't work as a line. So Kelly Wan, me and Dingus are outnumbering you. I would say, and I hate to call it bad writing, but that's the name of this. It's functional, though. It's, it's functional. You, it fits. You it, it, it's indicative. It's dysfunctional. Of, it's, it's indicative of why the material didn't work for me. Get it? I think. Indicative? Oh, Kelly Wan. <laughs> Oh man! See, that's why <laughs> Kelly likes this movie. See what I've done. And now I'm with Kelly. Um, the thing is, the the, the penis stuff, uh, unfortunately, plays into a lot of the, uh, which is another another element of this movie that we haven't talked about is the stalker element of this movie. So that I think that <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing at that, but I, th- I think this movie. That's not. What'd stalking. you say? His dick's a compass. It's not stalking. He's talking about taking the picture of, uh, of Brie Larson and then going to her this, house. This movie is about oh yeah yeah that's becomes about stalking. And, and is Kelly Wand. Yeah, Kelly Wand thought that using your your uh, your your penis as a what is a dowaging rod as a compass, oh, <laughs> as a compass. was stalking. 
I yeah, thought that was ridiculous, dingus. Well. But yeah, I forgot. The film picture is stalking. Yes, correct. Yeah. But, you know, you, but if you're a star, you can get away with it. It's a divining rod. You call it a dowaging rod. Is that a rod that you use to find old women? Dowager. Yeah. Oh, dowser. Isn't that the word? What do you call it? Dowser? We use it to it's find It's divining water. rod. No, or there's dowsing. a word like dowser. There's a there's a dowsing. word that's more fun than divining. Yeah. It's dowsing. dowsing. It's dowsing. Yeah. Dowsing. 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 There might be. I'm not really. He's, he was in the in the group Sean and I. Um, <laughs> Jesus. But but I mean the experience of 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 how this movie plays out um, from uh, the I think you know in watching it um, from I started to really think about this from the perspective of a female uh, and how you know if if a woman is stalking me which. You know, might have happened to me once or twice, not stalking, but just, you know, unwanted attention. You don't call it that as a male because you're not afraid of that, um, as opposed to how, like, two men in your backyard when your daughter is back there with them, and then you find out, geez, this guy's got pictures of me on his phone. Who the fuck is this? Um, those are two very different experiences, and that the movie uses a penis to direct him back to this. Uh, object of his stalking is really creepy and weird. And I think it's creepier and weirder for women than it would be for us. First off, still, silk stockings are awesome. <laughs> so, All right, here, I got you there. Here is the third and final entry in good writing, bad writing. Dingus, good writing or bad writing? There is a giant raccoon. Well, let me. There's a giant raccoon that's eating our food. I love that. Kelly Wan, good writing or bad writing? There's a giant raccoon that's eating our food. Um, it's a little long. <laughs> you would edit it down. Yeah, I would just go raccoons eating our food. No, it has so to be joke. That. No, the joke is it is a giant raccoon. Is that he knows what a raccoon is, but he doesn't know that a bear is anything is a bear. He just thinks it's a giant raccoon. That's his frame of reference. Is raccoons because the raccoon kissed him oh, earlier. That's a good writing. Yeah. Right. Okay. I thought writing. it was a uh, the other character talking. No, it is no, a no. total sitcom. It is a sitcom setup though. Like I got to tell you something too. Wait, what? Because you know they're they're both having this conversation. Like, all right, I need to tell you something. I oh, have oh, to right. confess something to you. I got to tell you something too. All right, you go first. We'll go and first. Oh, I'm yeah. pregnant. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> There's a giant raccoon eating our food. See, you now we know that he knows what a raccoon is, too. So we learn, just like we learn what a, com- he kn- well, he's, he's, a compass is. They've had raccoons. Dowager. They've chased raccoons, I think. Well, maybe they oh, shot see. a bunny rabbit. I mean, do you remember? Is that happening? Well, yeah, it was, it was kissing him, basically. Wasn't it drinking out of his, his mouth, the first raccoon they met? Yeah. So what's the correct answer, Tom? That, that, was, that was hilarious. I, I laughed out loud at that, and I think that might be the only time I laughed out loud, but <laughs> I loved Daniel Radcliffe thinking that a bear was a giant raccoon. Uh, I, all I wondered during that whole sequence was when in their process of writing and workshopping this at Sundance did The Revenant come out? Right. <laughs> yeah. Did they see The Revenant and go, oh, God, we're screwed because of our effects? Is it a parody <laughs> of The Revenant? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's I'm winning. Oh, that's all I had. Just those <laughs> you, three. Those. It was a, it was, you are totally winning. Yeah. It was a brief uh, good writing, bad writing. To to be fair though, I, I just think as a script, I mean, it was certainly true to itself. Whether or not it worked for me or not, uh, it had. You didn't a, have any bad writing examples. Um. 
Oh, I didn't say I think your penis is guiding us home. I wasn't crazy about that. I mean, you know what? You're right. That was fine okay. writing, but it was it was it explained why I didn't care for the movie. Like that kind of thing, I didn't really find particularly hilarious. He shouldn't be calling it a penis. Right. <laughs> so, so let me let me ask you guys a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, how do you feel about? Um, right, there's there's this moment early on, uh, before he's actually dressed up, where. Um, Manny says to Hank, maybe you could dress up like before so I could remember. So I'm wondering about what you guys think about what's real and what's not real in this movie. I, I, uh, my I take it as all real. Oh, see, I thought it was all not real, and he's just some crazy guy carrying a corpse around who creates his own reality and – what about at the end? end? Okay. I know. Well, the end. Uh, the end is kind of a uh, his fantasy still. Maybe. And he, although the end does imply that everybody sees Daniel Radcliffe just yeah. in LA, though. So. Doesn't imply it. It straight out shows it. Well, no, I mean, right, right. Girl. But he's an unreliable. But point is, he's an unreliable narrator. It could still be part of his fantasy that now everybody agrees with him. But I think you're right, Dingus. I mean, I think the point that that's movie language for. Oh my gosh, it really is happening. It's not just in his. Which head. means he's a reliable narrator. Which means it all happened. Uh, is he reliable? Because don't we see? Well, he might be right. Yeah. Okay. Based on that. So I'm sorry, Dingus. What was your question? I. I uh, I'm just wondering because when oh, what's you know reality? what's the reality because right. um, you know we got to the end of this movie I watched it with our friend Alexandra and uh, and at the end she's like oh she was uh, disappointed that the corpse was actually there what she was hoping was <laughs> going to happen was that everybody would show up and it would turn out to be like I guess a Fight Club kind of situation eh, it's too easy I don't know um, it's more and, predictable. Well, my my experience was the opposite. That I was relieved that uh, that it seems to be that there is an objective, there is an objective reality to this, but it is magical realism in, in this idea of what happens on the shore at the end, and that it turns out that he's only been right over there um, for some reason. Because one of the things that was mysterious to me is, you know, it seems like they're walking and they're walking and they're walking all these days through the forest, and they're setting up this camp, and he makes all of these intricate things with crafts and whatnot, makes a bus, makes a little house for them. One of my favorite lines is, by the way, can you take my head out of the window? After they, when they're in their their drunken stupor, um, uh, but it turns out that the reason that he's able to make all of these things is that they're not traveling that far; it's right over there. Uh, but how much of it is real and how much of it isn't um, is fascinating to me. Uh, and that whole idea of what happens on the beach at the end, um, including with his interface with his father. Uh, it's fascinating to me, and so I was just wondering what you guys thought about that, how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I, did, I, I guess Kelly's right. Is the movie is going for this idea that it it was real all along? Uh, I assume it's real if because the first thing has to have happened for him to have gotten to the mainland. So there's if he was stuck on an island, how did he get to the mainland if it's all in his head? Well, the Unless he's is, not on the mainland. The island is a metaphor. So that part's fake. I think everything was real, but the girl. Wait, Brie Larson is not in it. You're saying she doesn't yeah, even exist? Yeah, she's just fancy, right? That Brie is Larson certainly is correct. not yeah, in it. Exactly, Brie Larson is, is not in it. You are right. See, I'm right. Uh, I think. What was your other question? Because I have two questions for you guys, but they're super brief, easy ones. 
Um, I, the the other the only other thing I want to say is I, I wanted to ask you guys how you felt about the music. Uh, the guys, the cameraman is one of the guys who composed the music, um, and I love the way. Uh, and uh, you know, gosh darn it, I've been so excited about talking about this that I've missed most of the things. And we have at least four listeners who've talked about this. Oh, um, and I've I've been totally. Uh, uh, negligent in uh, in talking about them and one of them is josh lubler and he and he he brought up this uh, these terms that i always forget um diegetic music um uh, so he liked the diegetic slash non-diegetic music ew gross um, what does that even mean well it means i think what it means is the idea of right uh, yeah so so um hank paul dano's character starts the music himself and then it becomes a part of the soundtrack and you have him singing songs that become part of the soundtrack and then they go back and forth and then you have the the composers um also the the composers are a couple of dudes named uh, andy hull and robert mcdowell andy hull actually plays the cameraman at the end he's a guy with a huge beard uh, and he sings a lot of the songs and uh, so it's andy hull and robert mcdowell and so you have paul dano singing some of these songs you have them becoming part of the soundtrack and so what uh, josh lubliner is ta- talking about is um is that that feel of uh of where how the music weaves in and out of the movie and he really like i don't think i don't think josh lubiner really liked the movie that much i think he called it uh the, the i think he talked about the fart and dick jokes being too kevin smithy and it's college college freshman level philosophy is what josh was talking about uh diegetic sounds like a bodily function it does so it doesn't works it? Yeah. on multiple levels yeah. who, who else saw this Dickus? yeah i want to hear uh, well uh Nick D felt ambivalent about it. Um, uh, he liked the movie. Uh, he likes that it's different, but it, he he feels like it felt too self conscious. And I think that's uh, I think that's another way of talking about what Tom was talking about, but also describing a movie that feels very Sundancey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much repeat value it would have either. I don't like 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 a lot of it is that nausea that you and Alexandra had at the beginning is part of what makes it work is because then it kind of levels off. But if you know that's coming, I don't know, whatever. What do they say? <laughs> well, Nick D also feels Plus like, why, why, should, why should he sympathize with Hank? Because he's a castaway who could die. Well, no, but he's Hank's, cast himself away. He feels right? bad about stalking. Like he feels remorse about it. He's not like Trump. Oh, he feels bad about not um, making a move on her, right? Well, I mean, he's obviously too embarrassed to tell his dopey friend even that it's someone he stuck on. It's not just that he's embarrassed; he's using it. I mean, part yeah. of you, part of the uh, process of using the compass is that that's one of the reasons why he makes Manny thinks that this is the woman for him, and it's his phone because it works. When the magazine has ceased to work, he's like, if you use too, something too many times, it's going to stop working. That's why there's so many kinks in the world. Uh, and also, uh, Nick D says that he doesn't think they earn the, the final smile. They don't earn it, is what he said. Yeah, the, you know that final smile that um, that Hank gives when you know uh, the jet ski is going away. Yeah, they don't that's think they earn that. Hmm. Because he didn't do enough to help Manny? I think he just thinks it's too shallow. 
Yeah, I don't think any of our listeners really liked it. We also had Aaron Vaughn. Um, he loves the concept and commitment, but he thinks that the script falls flat. You know, it's uh, it's not as good as Charlie Kaufman writing. I just want to say once again, oh. the listeners are with me. Yeah, and Aaron, ba- but Aaron Vaughn did say, and you dodged this, Tom. Aaron Vaughn did say Tom has to drink if he used John Williams at the beginning of the... What John Williams did? Oh, oh, Jurassic Park, please. Jurassic, yeah, Jurassic that Park, yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't know why it falters in the third act. And finally, we have Chris Markinson, yeah. who who liked most of it, but he didn't like the ending. No one likes the ending. I don't even think I really like the ending. But I like. I still think it's a good. It's overall good value for one. Oh, and Chris, Chris, <laughs> he doesn't just magically get shaven. He uses Daniel. He uses Manny's teeth, teeth. to shave him. Oh, that was so gross. Ah. That was really ah, disgusting. But, but it's not mad. He uses his teeth to shave him. That's did Chris, that's did what, Chris that's think that was a shaved. continuity error? I, I think. I think it's been a while since Chris saw it. Um, so he's trying to do notes from having seen it a while ago. Uh, uh, so I think he might have just forgotten that. Okay. He also Chris Chris Markinson also said that somebody in his audience, when it ended, said that was something. That is that is correct. That's an accurate observation. Yeah, I, I will grant that to the audience member. That's a good tagline. Let me give you guys my under. But, and, oh, oh, go ahead. Well, just um, in terms of the of this of the grossness fact, like is weekend at Bernie's gross because he never decomposes and neither does Manny. So it's like, you know, you're in sort of a cartoon land where it's like it's not gross to drink the water coming out of his mouth because it's obviously like a rubber dummy you're drinking out of. I don't know. Is that what you guys? Okay. Uh, for, well, this is, yeah. I, I do love the way that Hank drinks the water from him when he realizes, you know, it, it's fresh water. I mean, he's been like screaming at the heavens, come on, help me out. And he realizes it's fresh water. But w- if you watch him when he's drinking out of that cup, it looks yeah. like he's about to vomit at the same time as he's drinking. He has to control that urge. Right. But I also like the prop they made for that scene, and I always like that kind of stuff in movies. I like really dumb practical effects, so it makes me <laughs> like it more. Like, like that's supposed to be him. <laughs> All right. Yes. Over and under. Sorry. Uh, I took movies in which uh, corpses were uh, submitted to various indignities. My under is a movie called The Three Burials of – oh, shoot. I should have looked this guy's name up. It's a Hispanic name, like The Three Burials of Jose Milcada. Shoot a monkey. What is that called, Mingus? The Three Burials. Mar- Sounds Marquez-y. It is. Uh, the three uh, it's Marquez. It's, El- El- yeah, I know it's what like you're talking about. El or something like that. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, isn't it Tommy Lee Jones carting around somebody's dead body? Yeah, I think he directed it too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, didn't get that movie. Marquez, I think it's, I think it's Marquez Estrada or something like that because we have it on our shelf. I think it's Marquez Estrada, something like that. Yep, I'm going with what you said. Pretty good. Uh, All right. So I didn't what care did for say? it. It was weird. But I never, I never watched that because you kind of told me. Meh. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, it's just yeah, his, his his buddy dies and he's bringing his body back to uh, Mexico to bury it or whatever. I think I remember a point where there's. He accidentally sets his buddy's body on fire, like, mm-hmm, and it's not supposed mm-hmm. to be funny, it, it, but it, it's like a weekend of Bernie's moment, but but serious. He's 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 mortified that he's accidentally set his friend's corpse on fire. Get it? 
Uh, my over is a movie called The Corpse <laughs> of Anna Fritz. Uh, and The Corpse of Anna Fritz, I don't want to say too much about it, although you can probably imagine. It's, uh, it opens with a news report of uh, this, this famous actress named Anna Fritz. And this movie is set in a world where there's a, a, a huge internationally renowned celebrity named Anna Fritz. Uh, this woman has just died. And this guy who's working in the morgue, and, and in, according to the, the news report, uh, it's not clear where her body is being taken because they don't want the place to be mobbed by fans. So this guy who's just working in a morgue calls his buddies one night, and he says, guess what, you guys? You will never believe whose body just showed up. Anna Fritz, who just died today, they brought her body here. Why don't you come over and look at it? And he takes a picture of her naked body with his cell phone and sends it to him. Uh, and it becomes a movie about necrophilia and it's really gross and weird uh. and absolutely horrifying uh it has one of the single most um it, it just has an astonishing thing in it that i just couldn't believe they did uh uh and i really like it it's a it's a spanish movie i forget who the director is but uh <laughs> and, and i really like it is one of my favorite things well you it, just said. dingus you have to be a horror junkie like me dingus it's not for you there you go <laughs> mm. Kelly Wan, The Corpse of Anna did Fritz, you, it is for you. It sounds awesome. Did you ever see this movie called Reuben and Ed with Crispin Glover and Howard Hessman? Where they're Lord, like, wow. And Howard Hessman's like a Tony Robbins shyster kind of guy. Wow, Crispin no. Glover's a whack job, and they wander around having adventures. And Crispin Glover's got a, trying to bury his cat. Oh, I don't like it. No. And he drink. It's like in a cooler, and he keeps drinking water from the cooler that has his cat in it. But then he dreams the cat's water skiing, and it, I saw it because it had this actress in it named Brittany Lewis, who's only in a couple movies. She's in Ski Patrol. <laughs> wow! And a Corey Haim movie. I think he's making all of this up as you go. She's like his fantasy girl, so there's the same kind of thing. All right. I love that you know that. <laughs> He has a calendar over. <laughs> Howard Hessman, Chris Glover. They finally work together. Dingus, what are your overs and unders for this absurd movie that you liked? Ooh! All right. <laughs> what? Uh, my under would be, uh, I would I would use this quote from my under, um, which uh, I got to see uh, again this week, and I really do really like this movie a lot. Actually, it wound up on my top ten list one year. Uh, here's a quote from it. I was in a cave. And my hair was made out of marijuana. Oh, that sounds awesome. What's the line? Um, that? I was in. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's a character describing her dream that she had while she was lying down on a mattress in a mattress store. And she fell asleep in the mattress store. And she said, I was having a dream. You were in it. Uh, I was in a cave and I and my hair was made of marijuana. Oh. And it's this movie uh, Gigantic. And I would put this just barely underneath this movie. I really love Gigantic. Um, but I watched it again uh, because it's a Paul Dano movie. And it has this weird, um, uh, sort of absurd, maybe magical realism element to it in the Zach Galifianakis character, uh, which made me want to watch it again. And I think it it's very much of a piece with this movie. It has um, some connective tissue there. Uh, so it was a, actually a joy to watch Gigantic again. Uh, there's a, um, a poster in quarter three who was asking for us to find 90-minute uh, movies uh, that we could recommend to him because he, he teaches a screenwriting class. And 
um, uh, one of the movies I suggested was gigantic because it falls within the the correct time period, time uh, time allotment. But he said, you know, while he likes the movie, he was worried that it might be too sexist. Um, so I watched it again. I don't think it is. I don't or misogynist even. Um, I don't think it falls in that category. Gigantic. Yeah. Um, but I really like the movie Gigantic, but it, it just falls just below this. Uh, and then for my over, I would put Upstream Color. Upstream Color is uh, is much higher than this movie. Uh, but I do like that that weird feeling of what is going on here that is in Upstream Color. And plus Shane Kruth is in, is, in, uh, is in this movie, which was a really delightful realization for me. Uh, I, in in watching this, I am not delighted because I'd rather he spend his time making another movie for Pete's sake rather than doing cameos in his buddies' movies. <laughs> I think he can do both. No, he can't. Apparently not. He works so slowly. <laughs> Jeez, a Pete. When do we get another Shane Carruth movie? <laughs> Kelly Wand, what right, are your? He's like Jonathan Glazer. God. Oh my gosh! Yeah, exactly. But see, that guy's not flitting around being in his buddies' indie movies. You don't see Jonathan Glazer. Showing up in uh, goofy little indie movies, so just don't show up at all. That's Get, what Tom said. Go back home, make your dang make movies movie. already. Yeah, provide us with. I uh, don't want to see you, right? Unless you're finished. Yeah, I'll see Shane Kruth if he wants to be in his movies. That's fine. Quit, quit mucking around, enabling these other people to make their goofy movies, and go do your own thing. Ugh, so annoying. <laughs> Kelly, one. Yeah, what are your overs and unders for, or just one over and under? For uh, Swiss Army Man, uh, I went with uh, unlikely friendship movies. So my over Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and, uh, I was just about to bring up Thomas Harris about because he takes so long to write the next book. Has he written anything since Hannibal? Hannibal? I don't believe he wrote Hannibal actually, but no. Oh. Wait, what? Yeah, he did. I don't believe that. My under for unlikely friendship movies is Batman v Superman. <laughs> Wait a minute. Actually, I guess they do become friends. Okay. Tom, I thought he was with you. Actually, all my unders are uh, Kelly, all my unders you, are Batman v Superman. Did you hear Dingus just quote a Zack Snyder movie? Martha. <laughs> you said Martha. I said Martha. Wait, hang on. Let's forget everything that just happened. All you have to do is say, why did you say that name? That's all you have to do. You don't have to reenact this, the scene. Just, just right there, those simple little words. Why did you say that name? Why did he say that name? Don't say that name, Kelly Wand. Hey, if uh, Shannon Elizabeth married Michael Shannon, her name would be Shannon Shannon. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty three between one, two, three, feet of we I prefer it this way. The remix? Yeah. <laughs> neep, neep, neep. I, I have a question for you guys. Yes, questions. Does that really work, that thing where you hold your cell phone up in the air to try to get better reception? In horror movies, it never works. Uh, like can, you name it, can you name another Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie where they try to make it work? It's the, it's the famous shot. Well, not a famous shot. We used it at quarter to three. But yeah, yes, in Cloverfield yes. Lane. But that was Brie Larson in that movie, Dingus. I'm pretty sure. Her phone never mm. works. Uh, here's but another... She- my, I think it was Alison Brie, actually. 
My other question, do you guys notice, and this drives me crazy every time, uh, when somebody in a movie does CPR, they don't lock their elbows because if you actually do that, you could break somebody's ribs. Like, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to do this stupid thing, like, where you're, you're curving, like, you're, you're, you're almost doing, like, push-ups, kind of, on your own hand, so that it doesn't, so you don't cave in the other actor's chest. Uh, I'm convincing CPR, just do the CG already, movie makers. Don't short do shortcuts if you're going to portray CPR in your movies. Just CG it, because otherwise it looks silly. CGPR it. Very good, Kelly Warren. <laughs> Hooray for Kelly. Dingus, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Let's dive yeah, in. Oh my, god. oh, my God. Don't dive in. That's, Tom, that would be a horrible idea. <laughs> These are your favorite empty swimming pools in movies. You don't want to dive into this topic, Tom. I was trying to think of one where someone dives in to an empty pool. Oh, wait. Maybe. that's uh, There's yeah. one we've seen where that happens, but anyway. Really? Uh, no, I, yeah. I know there's like a horror movie where somebody gets tricked into thinking there's water in the pool, right? Uh, All right. Is that what you're thinking of? I can't think what the movie is. Yeah, no, or a Leslie Nielsen movie where he's dumb. No, he I goes, think it's a horror movie. That narrows it down. Where there's like a swimmer, uh, and whatever the ghost or monster makes the swimmer think there's no that there's oh. water in the pool, and the person gets up and they're bouncing on the on the diving board. And it's the audience you're watching, horrified, going, "No, don't do it!" And then he or she jumps in and uh, just splats onto the and dies. Uh, Mr. Magoose, or maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It could be from that. My number mm. three choice is a movie called Twenty One Grams, and I didn't realize this. Uh, there, in Twenty One Grams, which is a movie about these characters, and it all comes to a head in a motel, a rundown motel, presumably somewhere in the American Southwest, and. At this rundown hotel, there is an empty pool out front, which probably was once a nice sparkling blue body of water, but is empty. And at this point, there's a there's an old tire down in it. There's a dusty tarp over part of it. Uh, it is completely like been on that day. It it is it has been it hasn't been used in forever. Uh, and I it's it's a metaphor, and you know that it's a metaphor because I didn't realize this. The last shot of Twenty One Grams. Is of that swimming pool, uh, and I didn't realize this. I was so delighted. But yeah, all right, uh, totally wow. called it. Uh, and it's it's of the pool though, but uh, snow is now falling on it, uh, which in a way it makes it look even more sad. Uh, but so it's filling it if you think about it. Yeah, it's no longer. Well, this pool isn't empty because there's a tire in it. <laughs> I mean, I would say if there's a tire and there's a tarp in there, it's not. There's also other junk in there. Like there's a bunch of junk down in the bottom of it. It's like people. Is that just, how they make ice skating rinks? Is they just make a pool first and wait for it to snow? Yes, Kelly Wan. No. That's how they make ice, ice skating rinks. Yeah. Okay. How they do that. <laughs> what was your question then? My question, Kelly Wan, is what is your third favorite empty pool in a movie? My number three favorite pool in a movie, and it may be my first, but it's not, is in the movie Caddyshack, where um, Bill Murray has drained a pool and he finds a Babe Ruth at the bottom. Ah, and yeah. then he takes a bite out of it, and they all think he's eating shit. And then the old woman faints. Because they do and the whole just... jaws. They do the jaws thing, like where the, yeah, right. this floating baby Ruth is like a shark and it's stalking people in the pool. <laughs> Why do I remember right. that? Oh, good lord! Everybody poops, Kelly Wand. I don't know what your problem with that is. At the very least, it's chlorinated, so it seems like it's still gross to eat it for a lot of reasons. What is his name in Caddyshack? Yeah. Isn't it like Carl or? Carl sounds right. Yeah. Kelly, when you remember that actress, uh, 
that you were talking about before? What uh, what movie? Lacey Underalls. Yeah, Cindy no. Reynolds. <laughs> and you don't remember Bill Murray's name in Caddyshack? Um, I remember Jackie <laughs> Mason's in the second one. Uh, but yeah. it's uh, Carl Spackler. Oh, do you think he's writing this, or did he just make that up? I think he might be right. Yeah, Carl Spackler sounds right, but I I know you're right about Carl. Right. I just don't know. It, it sounds like Morgan. Kelly get up though. So. Not Cindy Reynolds, Cindy Morgan. What are you talking about? I didn't look anything up. I'm just smart. I'm a genius. You are. You're super smart. I agree with you. Dingus, what is See? your third favorite empty swimming pool in a movie? Maybe you can give us a line from the all movie. All right, here's a here's a here's a bit of dialogue from mm. this movie. Accident. Yeah, this boulder came down over the hill. Just ah, it's my number one. Ah, uh-huh, you guys picked the same thing. Uh-huh. Speaking of Jonathan Glazer. <sighs> That's a great one. So, Kelly, what is your number one choice, then? You, you, it's your number do one. You job. talk about it's it first. Job. It's in the do the job scene, even. So the best scene in the movie has the yeah. pool in it. What movie are we talking about? Oh, Sexy Beast. Very good. Starring John Kingsley <laughs> and Whitstone. Wait, what? John Kingsley Ding is the famous actor. He played Gandhi. Yeah, he played Gandhi. And, uh, yeah, so, like, the rock falls in the pool, and it's foreshadowed. The rock, haha. <laughs> the asteroid. Yeah. They were going to get Harrison Ford to do it, but he couldn't. <laughs> the rock. They had to make something browner. He is rock colored. He's, like, older. So, so, what do you like about this particular pick? Um, because this it's in the background, so it's like it's it's also his fuse, and like it's it's just a reminder that things are gonna go bad. Uh, I like it because it, it one of the things I forgot about is because I knew that this was going to be happening in this particular scene um i just forgot which scene it was that it's the scene that you're talking about kelly um where the the pool has been drained and you see these two hearts that are in the tiles there are these two conjoined hearts um and and this is obviously you know uh, one of the things that's weird about that this sequence and tom has described this before i can't remember why maybe it was the swimming pools the other swimming pools thing we did is how that boulder it seems to represent um, Ben Kingsley coming, uh, uh-huh. Ben Kingsley coming to them, Dawn coming to them. Uh, and when they look down at the bottom of that pool, and this is something I'd forgotten, is there's these two conjoined hearts in the bottom in the tiles of the pool. And there's this rubble at the bottom of the pool where it is, it is shattered the tiles, but they've taken the boulder out. Uh, and, He's like it's destroyed the tiles and it's shattered that that relationship in a way. And one of the reasons why he doesn't want to do the job uh, that Don is insisting that he do is because he has a good life here. He doesn't have a lot of money, but he has enough money. Um, and his uh, significant other doesn't obviously doesn't want him to do this, uh, but this boulder has come between them. Um, and I love the I love the way that this this dried out pool represents this, and the way Don is sort of mockingly like, um, "So you're happy here?" I mean, he's he's got this 
weird way of being dismissive about their lives because I think partly because the pool is empty. If if we were sitting here on this deck having a couple of beers and there's this beautiful, luxurious pool out there, uh, that's one thing. But if we're standing there on the edge of this empty bathtub that's totally dry with this rubble in the middle of it, it saying to somebody – this is the life you've chosen uh, has a different feel to it. And I, I just love the way that scene plays out and the way that Don looks at this pool. Yeah, this is real nice. This is what you've decided. It's also Spain. So that's his only water source. <laughs> they don't have water in Spain. Yeah. Well, it's just like he had water to look at whenever he was out on his patio. And now he just has to look at that crack and the, uh, but don't they bury him under the pool too? They do, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, my so my second favorite uh, empty pool, uh, and it's a little tiny short scene uh, in the ice storm at the very end during the eponymous ice storm. Uh, Elijah Wood goes out and is about to meet a terrible end, but before he meets a terrible end, he's out frolicking in this ice-covered, I think it's Connecticut, uh, winter wonderland. Uh, and when he actually goes out, and I'd forgotten this, he explains why he's going out in this terrible weather with this weird little monologue about molecules that ties into another another awkward scene he had earlier in the movie where he's giving a paper to his class. But he explains this thing about when it's cold, the molecules stand still, so he's going to go out and enjoy it. Uh, so he's, it's, you show him sort of frolicking in this winter wonderland, and he comes across an empty swimming pool. And the diving board is completely frozen over in ice. And he walks mm. out over onto the diving board. And as he's walking out, you even see his feet slip a little bit. And he goes yeah. to the end of the diving board, and he's bouncing up and down on this solid – there's there's a sheet of ice over this thing. His feet are slipping, and the pool is empty. There's nothing underneath him. Uh, underneath him. And it creates this sense of going from frolicking in this beautiful winter wonderland to being on the, the precipice of some horrible thing which is what eventually happens. So it's that swimming pool moment in Angley's ice storm as uh, foreshadowing for what eventually happens to him. So there's my Man, it, it kind of it gives me chills when you describe it. It's, it it creeps me out. It makes me feel vertigo when you describe that. Well, watching him do it, it was funny watching it again, how Angley obviously shot it, is in my memory, there's a full shot of him bouncing up and down on it, and you see him, but they only shoot feet where you could have, I don't know, the actor would be sitting on something. They shoot, they shoot feet on the diving board, and then there's a separate shot at the top of Elijah Wood's body where he could just be standing in the middle of a field somewhere, and he's jumping up and down. So Ang Lee cuts those two together <laughs> to create the sense that he's doing something dangerous. That I completely remembered seeing it full frame in my head, but uh, it's just an editing Ugh. trick. No middle. Um, Man, that re- really creeps me out. Uh, I, I, I had this weird, irrational fear of uh if i were doing if i when i was uh swimming laps in the pool at night that a shark would get in there well sometimes sharks and, get into pools stingus they'll swim through the little filter in the bottom yeah and they'll grow up they come in as babies but they grow up and become full-grown sharks and can eat you that's what jaws 5 um, is about but this kind of is along with that that idea of of um uh, because i love going off the diving board i love diving boards uh but the idea of, of of doing that uh, and there not being any water in the pool. It's another one of those weird, irrational um, dream fears I have. I wish I could think of what horror movie it is where that happens. Oh, God, that creeps me out. That totally creeps me out. That just that you're 
your your description of his feet on the on that on the board i can feel that i mean the way the the board is rigid anyway but imagine it being frozen yeah covered yeah. 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 yeah you totally creeped me out just now well kelly wand uh uncreep dingus by giving us a less creepy empty swimming pool from a movie my number two is from the motion picture sunset boulevard directed by billy wilder it's not an empty pool at the beginning it is. Oh. He first gets there, it's all overgrown with shit. Oh, what? Represents Very good. State of mind. So I forgot I, that. Yeah. That one was kind of given to me, actually. Uh, I had what do you mean? Someone smarter than me came up with it and reminded me of it. Went, yeah, it's better. Wait, so, it so the movie begins with the pool? I don't remember that. Yeah, when he first gets to the place, it's all, it's all dilapidated and the pool's empty. And it's got like... It's got uh, vegetation and growing in it, but it's empty. There's no water in it. Yeah, that makes perfect it's sense. Rotten. And then it, over the course of his relationship with her, it gets filled up, and then he ends up in it. Yeah. Right. Kelly so Wander, I was gonna, I was gonna compliment you. Instead, pass my compliments along to whoever told you that one. That's smart a great one. person. Yeah. All right. Dingus, I think it what is, was uh, <laughs> unnamed smart person. Diggis, what is your second favorite empty swimming pool? And maybe you have a line from the movie you can give us. Uh, all right. So my second favorite one nah, – I don't have a line from it. I don't think there's any good lines in this movie. But I do I love wish. the empty swimming pool. Yeah. It's from a movie called Ricochet. Do you guys remember this movie? Ricochet. No. It sounds like – let me guess. Is it like an action movie with two cops who are buddies? Mm, no, Anymore? actually. Okay. Uh... I know that when you tell me about it, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, that movie. And I, I just had forgotten it's called Ricochet. But I, I, I think I get it mixed right. up with Torque. No, Torque. So it's Martin, a... Martin Henderson is a biker. Come yeah. on, an Ice Cube. How can you mix Torque up with something else? Besides, they're completely different uh, physical principles, Kelly Wand. Uh, okay. I get those both mixed up with Equilibrium. <laughs> Kelly Wand, never ride a motorcycle or swim. What? <laughs> Why does everyone keep telling me that? <laughs> All right, Diggis, what is Ricochet? Or or shoot a gun. Both. Same time. <laughs> All right, Ricochet is a Denzel Washington movie. It's one of his early movies. Ricochet. And he did it with John Lithgow. It's directed by Russell Mulcahy, who directed Highlander. Ew. He was great on MASH. Do you remember? Okay, so Ricochet is a movie about um, uh, Denzel Washington is playing this uh, hotshot lawyer who's going to become, like, the – uh, the major lawyer in town, the, I don't know, it's the DA or whatever. Um, and he, when he's a cop, early on in the movie, um, he takes down this guy who's a rising dude in the crime world, played by John Lithgow. Uh, and they're both on their way up in their career. But of course, uh, of course, Denzel taking down this other guy means that his career has been derailed. So he sends John Lithgow off to jail. Um, and so John Lithgow spends a couple of years in jail instead of rising in the, in the ranks of, of criminal whatevers. So John Lithgow breaks himself out of jail um, because he's a super badass. He's, you know, I, I, what I forgot was after, after having seen John Lithgow in things like Raising Cain and um, uh, Dexter, uh, that he played a lot of these whack jobs. These whack job kind of roles. Uh, so he he breaks him he breaks himself out of jail because uh, he's such a badass in jail, and um, and he sets about 
wreaking revenge upon Denzel Washington, who's become this big-time political figure in Chicago or wherever they live. Uh, it might be Detroit, actually. And uh, and part of his revenge is just making everybody believe that Denzel Washington's character is going crazy uh, and going off the rails and is a child molester and is a drug addict. Um, and one of the things he does is after uh, sabotaging his life in a number of ways, he kidnaps him and takes him to this uh, empty swimming pool, this huge empty swimming pool where he's put a bed and he's got his uh, henchman who videotapes them and he brings in a hooker to have sex with Denzel. And Denzel has a, a, a beautiful family life, but this is all being destroyed by John Lithgow and it's all being filmed in this empty swimming pool. Uh, and, um, it's totally weird and it's very weird to see Denzel doing all of these things and being so vulnerable and drugged out cause they drug him. Um, and of course, while under the influence uh, or, or just coming out of the fog of these drugs, you know, Denzel Washington's character eventually escapes this, this hellhole. Um, and then he leads all the reporters like, I'll show you exactly where this was. It was in this empty swimming pool and of course when they go back to the empty swimming pool it's full of water and there's no evidence of the crime whatsoever because the water the pool has now been filled with water uh but it's just, just this great weird uh, just strange and surreal bunch of scenes that are filmed um almost some of them from the perspective of a drugged out denzel washington so it's a lot of it's blurry camera work um uh, and it really it's, a, it, it's not a movie that works very well at all uh, overall, uh, but I really love the – I mean, and this is one of the things that inspired the topic. I really love the fact that it's all done in this weird, empty, Olympic-sized swimming pool. I'm sad that you know Russell Mulcahy is the director of Highlander because really his career – wouldn't Why wouldn't you know that? Well, his career peaked way before Highlander. There's a movie – Kelly Wan might know this movie. Do you guys know the movie Razorback? Yeah, pig. Yeah, it's Jaws, but with a pig. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I thought you told me not to watch that. Razorback? No, you should totally watch Razorback. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with me? I you said there was some... Disrecommending it. I don't know. I thought you talked about some sort of weird movie that dealt with this kind of thing. Is it an Australian movie? Yeah, very, yeah, very Australian. Of course it is. Yeah. It's actually based on it's it's based on the you know the case of the before Meryl Streep came along and made it popular the case where the dingo uh, ate the the baby, uh, in that the baby. It, yeah it, it's a it's a Razorback like there's a there's an old man who's been accused of murdering his son when he's claiming all along no the Razorback ate my baby not, not his baby his grandson uh, and he becomes like a, a an Ahab for this Razorback uh, Razorback ate my grandson. Uh, it's a. It's actually. actually biggest, I, I don't know. I, I must have been talking. I can't imagine why we'd ever, ever be talking about it because it's a really old '80s movie. Um, um, because there was another. Man, there was another movie that you were talking about and you were referencing. Maybe we were talking about Black Water and then you started talking about Razorback. I don't know. Um, but I, but I, I actually also know Russell McKay from the fact that he did a couple of early Duran Duran videos. That's how, which yeah, I that's, loved when that's I was how a he kid. Did. Yeah, he was a video director, and they were at some point like, "Hey, what if we throw a feature film at you?" It, it had a lot of Road Warrior elements. Uh, you make this kind of a uh, Jaws meets Road Warrior movie about a killer pig, and he's like, "Yeah, okay, you know, I'm done with Duran Duran. I'll I'll do this." Uh, and then he went on to do a bunch of crappy stuff. It's the thing to Babe's ET. 
It's the thing to Babe's ET. Wait, what? Do your do your it's thing. It's like again? the dark side of Babe. So like the thing is like the evil oh, alien, right? And then ET is the nice alien. I see. So Razorback's as, the thing. As thing is to ET, Razorback and is ET. to Babe. Yeah. And where does Babe Pig in the City fit in that? Yeah, <laughs> Babe Pig in the City is pretty good. I like that'll it. That'll do. That'll do, Kelly. Uh, all right, I, Kelly Wan. Speaking of things that'll do, what's your favorite swimming empty swimming pool? Sexy Beast. In, in a, oh, it is Sexy Beast. All right. Well, Remember I, get... I said something really smart, and then Dinks <laughs> said his dumb thing about you... why it really means that. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You really upstaged yourself. It doesn't your... mean that. You upstaged yourself with that Sunset Boulevard one. That was a great pick. Whoever picked that for you. Yeah. That was a really good one. That was but, a good one. Kelly, one, here's one you missed. I'm going to give you guys a line from it. <clears throat> oh! Here we go. Women would kill to look like this. They carve and stuff and inject themselves, hoping that one day they'll look like a second-rate version of me. Mm, yeah. Yep. That's what I was, I was expecting this to come along. I'm yeah. happy that it come along. So mm. my favorite empty swimming pool, God, I love this movie so much, is uh, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon. Uh, <laughs> and the finale, well, not the finale, because there's, there's a fair bit more after this, but uh, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the characters... Uh, says this and, and I forgot how he shot it so Jenna Malone is down in the empty swimming pool she goes down into it because Elle Fanning has walked out onto the dashboard or the dashboard the diving board wearing this long white gown and so the shot that Nicholas Winding Refn gets out of this layout with an empty swimming pool is Jenna Malone looking up at for all intents and purposes Elle Fanning floating in the air like a ghost or an angel. It's a great <laughs> shot. Uh, but then other stuff happens at the swimming pool, and uh, I don't want to give away the, the movie, but uh, I love the bit around the empty swimming pool. Uh, it's also... other. I love that you said other stuff happens at the swimming pool. <laughs> well, let's just say that the line that I just delivered could be interpreted literally. Hmm. Huh. Um, I love, too, the idea that when Elle Fanning first comes to this house, Jenna Malone's like, yeah, come stay with me. And Elle Fanning says, wow, this is a really nice place. Uh, how long have you lived here? And Jenna Malone's like, no, I don't, I don't live here. I'm just house-sitting. And that's such an L.A. thing, is people, there are these really nice houses all over L.A., and the people who are rich enough to own them go all over the place. So people who are like makeup artists or poor actors get to live in these beautiful houses, not because they live there, but because other people have them house-sit. Uh, like I don't know, does that happen in other cities? I guess it does. Um, but that's it so must happen in New York. It's got to happen in New York. I guess so. Yeah. But the thing is, like in New York, you have an apartment. Like a house requires, like somebody's got to be there to let the the groundskeepers in or whatever. I don't. I don't know. Someone's got to be I just there. Call them somebody's got to take care of the dogs and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's. We we have a friend who would basically migrate from house-sitting to house-sitting. And I think you can do that in L.A. in a way that you can't necessarily in New Actually, you know what? New Yorkers, let us know. Do you guys have a lot of house-sitting out there? Because it seemed like such a staple of of L.A. life. Is Jenna Malone, this makeup artist, occupying someone else's house, but this, they're not there, so the swimming pool, they don't get the benefits of an actual swimming pool. It's just an empty right. swimming pool out back. And, and the Nicholas Winding Refn found a location, too, with these awesome shots of the L.A. skyline in the, in the background. Although technically, I guess you could just CG that in. We don't even. Who cares about locations anymore? 
Uh, you could have yeah. the location look like whatever you want it to look like. Or just look at it. Yeah. What's the swimming pool that got overfilled? Dingus, shut up. We're saving that for runners-up. I'll give you guys a line. Okay. Um, can the pool overflow? Yes, the pool oh, can okay, fucking overflow. You. What the fuck's going on over there? <laughs> mm. <Shatter>. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Do you know what that's from, Kelly Wand? Yes, the pool can overflow. Uh, bad Moms? Greenberg. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Very really good, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, because that, that's the opposite of empty. It's one that's too full. Uh... <laughs> when a swimming pool is empty, it's easier to tell if someone's peed in it. <laughs> Unless you're in Grown Ups 2. What? Ah, you saw it. <laughs> um, I, I watched, I rewatched Greenberg. I don't know if you guys remember this. Greenberg, uh, do you remember? So, you know, at the end of Greenberg, he, there are these two teenage girls that come back to the house and they're going to go to Australia and he briefly has this idea that, yeah, damn it, I'm going to go to Australia with yeah, you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Do you remember who the two uh, teenage girls are? Brie no. Larson and um, Shannon Elizabeth Mary Winstead. Are those your final guesses, Kelly Wand? Mary, Marcy... <laughs> I give up. Brie Larson they? is one of them. Were you joking? Really? Yeah, Brie Larson and Juno Temple oh, wow. are the two girls who, at the end of Greenberg... Uh, are you know they they also have the party where he freaks out at the party playing Duran Duran by the way oh uh, and Dave oh, Franco Dave Franco is the guy serving up the cocaine in the party I forgot he was in it and there's uh, even there's even a girl from uh from Girls uh, David Mamet's daughter uh Zosha Mamet is is at the party but I loved watching uh Greenberg again and seeing Brie Larson and Juno Temple before we knew who they were uh, yeah. There's and this will be Kelly Wand. You'll know this. Nobody else. There's this actress who God, I love her so much, and it's one of the reasons that Walking Dead is the stupidest thing in the world. But there's an mm-hmm. actress named Merritt Weaver <laughs> who played a veterinarian who has to sort of uh, rise to the calling of being a doctor in the community. Uh, and this actress is so good on this show, and she's she's a beautiful woman. She's a little overweight, but she's got a beautiful face and long blonde hair she just looks like a normal person who happens to be gorgeous uh and they killed her the stupid show one of the best actors they're like yeah you know for shock value we're just gonna have her get killed oh was she that little girl like the hillbilly girl no she well no no she was in uh greenberg as greta uh gerwig's best friend uh oh merritt weaver that's what you said merritt weaver okay yeah merritt weaver and i might have to watch this show called Nurse Jackie, because she's apparently had a, had a recurring part in Nurse Jackie. I thought that's what Mia Wasikowski's on. Nurse Jackie? Yeah. Wow, well, then I'll definitely have to watch it. Oh, it's in treatment. Merritt oh, Weaver yeah, was yeah. in um, Birdman, wasn't she? Yes, very good, Dingus. You do know who Merritt Weaver is. I'm very proud of you. I like her a lot. Yeah, well, Dingus, you I should like watch Walking Dead so that you can be angry at the show like me and Kelly. Uh, okay. Because she'll, she'll be on show. it, and they'll be developing her character, and they'll even put her in this cool relationship, and then, whooops, she suddenly gets shot through the eye just out of the blue. Surprise, she's not on the oh, show anymore. Oh, she was the veterinarian, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I kind of liked that death scene, though. Well, I just – I you know, it, it, well, because you liked scene. the actress. Like, it, yeah. Um, and now she's not she's there anymore. She's giving a speech when she gets it. It is kind of like a Sam Jackson moment, isn't it? Like, what else you, was she in? You think ISIS fast. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's in a movie that you guys are jerks for never seeing with Michael Shannon. If you guys really liked Michael Shannon and Amy Ryan, you would watch a movie called The Missing Person. She's in that. Uh, she's in Greenberg. Uh, oh, she's in Michael Clayton. That's right. Oh, what did she play in my- – 
thing is, why do you know this? Who is she and Michael Clayton? I, do, I just remember her. She's got such a distinctive, like, angular face. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm almost certain that she's the she's the the girl that that is is the uh, like the linchpin of the case that oh. they keep trying to contact. Wow, good. Like okay. The, I think that's her. I'm almost certain. She has a very Brooke Smith quality to her in that she's a beautiful woman. She's blonde, but she's not like the super skinny elf fanning body type, which right. shouldn't matter. So she gets cast as best friends and stuff all the time. Okay. Um, yeah. Right, let's get back to pins to Lynch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's get back to swimming pools. All right, sorry. Is, what is the best empty swimming pool of all time in a movie? All right, this is easy. This is so easy. All right, here's a quote from it. Yep. And the next category is songs about sex. Right, but what's the best empty swimming pool? Hooray <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> for Tom. Uh, I feel oh. like I should know this one. Dingus, we should know this, right? Yeah. Shoot a monkey. G- Kelly Wan, what is it? Do we know? Kelly doesn't know. Uh, Kelly won't know. Home Alone 3? This yeah. is not a Kelly movie. We've Lost tried to get him to watch it many times, but he won't. Um, this, is, this is the movie Pitch Perfect. Um, and there's there's two great scenes in Empty Swimming Pool. Uh, and the first is the riff-off. So uh, Pitch Perfect is about these acapella groups who are uh, in competition. Um, and uh, at one point, during this during the development of like as as they're getting their team together and getting everything together the team the different teams there's a all male a cappella group there's a there's a there's another a cappella group that's not so good there's a bunch of stoners who call themselves the high notes who never do anything haha it's a funny joke about marijuana and then it's the bellas who uh is a group that anna Anna Kendrick ends up joining and has to figure out how to be a part of. So the, so they have this um, seemingly impromptu competition called a riff-off where they all get together and uh, and have to sing against each other a cappella. And so they meet in an empty swimming pool on campus. Um, and it's this really beautiful set. Uh, and I always – was, I was like, why would they do that? Um, but from – Early on, when I was watching, I mean, it's a, it's the, the the first scene, that first riff off whole thing where they're competing and they're singing against each other. Um, from the moment I saw that, I I was you know what you think about is singing in the shower because that's how uh, is it Brittany Snow I think yes um, discovers Anna Kendrick is hearing her sing in the shower, and one of the reasons that you know. It sounds good when you're singing in the showers. The acoustics in the shower, uh, the tile or just the the enclosure, the water that 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 way of being in that little sound booth of the shower uh, magnifies your voice and makes it sound good. So um, I figured early on when I was watching this movie that oh that's why they did this, why they chose to do this scene and why they had this competition in this empty swimming pool is because of all this of all the way the tile works and you know all the people watching can sort of sit around on the edges of the pool and watch the thing, uh, watch the competition like it's in sort of a stadium, um, and the acoustics work really well. Uh, and then later on in the movie, when they return to the um, pool to after the sure every- weird vomit snow angel scene, um, 
when the Bellas are kind of coming together under Anna Kendrick's uh, tutelage or under her guidance, uh, they go back to the pool and redo the redo that just to have this moment of cohesion because in the, in the earlier riff riff off scene, it doesn't really work for them very well. They try, but it doesn't really work. Um, so anyway, I watched that, that again this week. I love the way that I love the way it sounds. I love the way it works. And just to kind of uh, test whether or not I was right about this, I, I have the, I, I will, I will, uh, admit to the fact that I own the Blu-ray of Pitch Perfect because I absolutely love this movie. Um, so I went over to the commentary track and listened to the director and uh, the producer, Elizabeth uh, Banks. Is that her name? Yes, yes sir. Elizabeth right. Banks. Yep. Elizabeth Banks. They're, they're both doing the commentary. And sure enough, as they get there, uh, the director goes, yep, we chose a empty swimming pool because of the acoustics we thought we were going to have to build the set and we just so happened that we found this perfect set with an empty swimming pool and it also has these this like coliseum feel to it and this is something i didn't notice before and if you look at the long shots of the swimming pool there are these columns that go all around the swimming pool and it looks kind of like a coliseum and the students that are watching uh, the competition go on are sitting up all, along those those columns and it's got a really cool feel of uh, sort of a weird acapella gladiatorial idea um, and I just love the way that sounds and I just freaking love Pitch Perfect so, Genghis, yeah, so, having yeah. The, the Blu-ray of Pitch Perfect isn't something you admit to, it's something you boast about, what's the matter with you? Don't be buffaloed by people like Kelly Wand into thinking That's that Pitch Perfect is something that you should hide under a bushel Oh, it, I had such a, I had so much fun watching those scenes again and again. Kelly I, Wand, I can watch those two scenes again and again. Kelly and Wand, even the, the last scene. Ugh. Did you not hear Dingus just say, vomit snow angel? Does that not make you want to see it? <laughs> a little bit. How about the words, Anna Kendrick tutelage? How would you feel about her tutelage? <laughs> Kelly Wand, yeah. I know which side that's on. <laughs> I Sorry, vomit I snow angel sounds, sounds like it's part of a trilogy with Neon Demon. Oh, I'd fuck it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> All oh. right, Dingus, what do... Uh, Too much. Dingus, you didn't... Now, you're not really uh, a Pitch Perfect fan until, like me, you've sat through Pitch Perfect too. just so you know. Yeah, I, well, you waved me off of it, so I haven't bothered. Did you guys see... Uh, it was so adorable, Elizabeth Banks doing that town hall thing with uh, Chelsea and Hillary Clinton last last week. What? Uh, she there was a Pennsylvania town hall and Elizabeth Banks moderate. I mean, all she does is she sits out there with them and uh, asks a couple questions and then has the audience people come forward. But it was so cool seeing Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, and Elizabeth Banks. Uh, you know what? When you're a Democrat, you get the benefit of all these celebrities uh, participating in the campaigns. Repu- Republicans, right. I feel bad for the poor folks. Uh, they don't generally get Hollywood on their side. I find myself watching more like clips from talk shows right now because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for some reason, I stumbled onto a couple of Elizabeth Banks on talk on Jay Leno or something, talking about responding to her Twitter followers and talking about the size of a man's penis and how that's important or not important. Um, and I didn't realize that once I watched this movie, I forgot the fact that she was the she was a producer on this movie, and that's why she wound up directing the second movie when right. when that director dropped out. And see where that got us. Yeah. 
Dingus, what are the listeners? Yeah, I know, right? No, you know what? No, no, Kelly Wand, there's only one. Put that out of your mind. There's only one Pitch Perfect, Kelly Wand. There's only Pitch Perfect 2? No, shut up, Kelly Wand, you're doing it wrong. No, Pitch Perfect 2 does not exist. No such thing. It's Hmm. as absurd as uh, Swiss Army Man, the idea of a Pitch Perfect 2. No such thing exists. It's not real. (laughs) Dingus, what do the listeners have for empty swimming pools? Right, first we have Paul Weimer. Hi guys, back in the three by three pool, empty or otherwise. Uh, number three for Paul in the Lords of Dogtown. Ew, skateboarding. We, we see, yeah, apparently we see plenty of empty swimming pools broken into by the Z boys used for honing their skateboarding. Since Southern California is a bad drought, is in a bad drought, all the pools are empty, providing numerous practice facilities thereby. Uh. uh Dude, I have never seen this movie, so I can't comment. I don't think I've ever. I haven't even seen Gleaming the Cube. I have not seen any skateboarding movies. I think. <laughs> ah, Slater. Yeah. Well, I get confused between this and the. Isn't there a documentary like Z Boys and Dogtown? Very good. Right. I, I got it mixed up. Is that what it's called? It's Lords of Dogtown's the non-documentary one. Okay. And the other one's the documentary one. It's right. a I don't know. Just like Man on Wire is the non-documentary one, and The Walk is the documentary one. And Man on Fire. <laughs> Wait, is that a documentary? Man on Fire? That's a documentary, yeah. That has the ass bomb in it. It's where Denzel Washington puts a bomb in someone's butt. That's what the uh, the ratings board said, too. Tom, when he puts a bomb in that guy's butt, is that sex? Oh, dingus. <laughs> Thing is referencing I'm Swiss sorry. Army Man, and that by the way, that was good writing. I thought that was funny. You can't talk version? about everything that can't talk about everything that comes into my head. I apologize. Or goes into Daniel Radcliffe's butt. Mm. All right, Paul Weimer's number two is in a good year. Uh, Max Skinner, played by Russell Crowe, manages to fall into the empty swimming pool. On the decrepit French estate he has inherited, Fanny Chenal, played by Marianne Cotillard, who comes to his calls for help, has a clever, if not precisely pleasant, method of getting him out of the predicament. I'm, I'm Do you guys know what this is? No, I don't, but I'm imagining it as fat Russell Crowe falling into an empty swimming pool. <laughs> you love fat Russell Crowe. I still so love so crazy fat. about I, that. Yeah, I do. I do love fat Russell Crowe. <laughs> Everyone loves him. We really do. Yeah, you know what, Russell Crowe? Let yourself go. We're, it's endearing. We love it. Stop working out. It's just it's you're among stuff. friends. You are Russell. What's Crow. your favorite? What's your favorite fat Russell Crowe movie? It's totally that. Probably Robin I, Hood. Is love Robin Hood? Oh, for me, it's where I really discovered that I love fat Russell Crowe, and it's that man with the iron fist or whatever yeah. that was. Yeah, that, that <laughs> karate movie. <laughs> no, they're both fists. It's man with iron fists, isn't it? For, for me, it's. The nice guys. I just love how he looks like John Goodman in that movie. That is great fat Russell Crowe, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know this one where he falls in a swimming pool, but I don't want to see it unless he's fat because I want to imagine fat Russell Crowe tripping and falling into a swimming pool. (laughs) Well, his name is Max Skinner, so that would be really weirdly ironic if he were fat. Oh, very So uh, Paul, Paul Weimer's number one choice is in Ghost Ship. Uh, All right, here we go. The Salvatore's... I've never seen this movie. Uh, the salvagers find a very creepy, empty swimming pool in the eponymous abandoned cruise liner riddled with bullet holes. We later find out just what a horrific event occurred to cause this. 
Hmm. Is this the one you told me about where, like... Um, a bullet hole? How would that... Like, like something, like, cuts off people's heads? Yeah, all beginning? I remember yeah. about Ghost Ship wire. is, yeah, a ship, like, goes under a wire or something, and the wire cuts everyone in half, unless That's they... That's the like, one good for... Yeah, unless they duck or something like that, yeah. No one ducks. Mm, doesn't somebody live? There's, like, a short... Like, a midget or a kid or something lives. Because they're short. Wait, the, why goes. doesn't it just cut the ship in half and then everybody die? And then no, the ship just sinks. On the, deck. the wire's horizontal and the ship sails underneath it. And it's some super like monofilament killer thing. Like, what? Imagine, just like, like in it, the show, the wire. The thing is, imagine but ships. Imagine clotheslining ship. someone. They're at a yeah, dancing. It's like dancing the ship like rises that. and falls. Not this one. Based on okay. The seas are very calm when this happens, Dingus. So everybody's on deck at this point. Pretty much, they get cut in half, and yeah. All right. There's like a dance. It's a it's a documentary. It really <laughs> happened. <laughs> documentary. Next, we have Chris Hobson. Happy Thanksgiving. What, Chris? What? I wonder where Chris <laughs> Hobson is from. Get it? Canadians. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Hobson says massacre at Central High. Oh. David kills one of the bullies by emptying the swimming pool and turning the light off. So he won't see that it's empty when he goes for his morning high dive. That's it. That's got to be it, Chris Hobson. That's got to be the one that I'm thinking of. Chris Hobson, you're, thinking of? you're a godsend. Awesome. Oscar Central High. Yeah, You've actually like, seen a movie called that. I'm sure I have. It's got to be some crappy 80s slasher movie or something. Totally. Chris Hobson, oh, you're, you're amazing. you got to remember which high school it is to remember the whole title. I actually have no problem with that because uh, uh, Central High is a, was a, a fixture of the civil rights movement in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is where I'm from. And my mother ah. was in school when that happened, when the, the National Guard came out because Orville Faubus is a tool. So Oral Central Faubus High, is a tool. We, we get, I hope you have a t-shirt that says that. We get governors Oral with Faubus. names like Orville Faubus. Orville Faubus is a tool. Yeah. Orville Faubus. We get, Jer- we get Jerry Brown. Yeah, how boring is, is that? Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Who's not voting, by the way. He's All not. Right, so, you know, they're, they're, the Republicans in California are basically kind of Democrats. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, Next we have... <laughs> <laughs> next I mean, we have Ard, Arden Sedlins. Mm-hmm. Hey, that would be a great gang. governor's name, by the way. Governor Arden Sedland. I like that. Yeah, I could totally imagine him from Arkansas or Georgia. Arden, Arden please, please run for office wherever you are. You get it, you have our vote. Definitely. But not so, Jerry, hey, quarter three gang, my favorite examples – all right, he uses uh, – okay, favorite examples of empty swimming pools in film are – number three, the empty swimming pools used for skateboarding in Lords of Dogtown. Number two – number two. Number two, the pool – Zach Efron's character sits on and reevaluates his life after the funeral of one of his closest friends in We Are Your Friends. Ew. A much better film that? than I expected it to be. Great uh-huh. work by John Bernthal and surprisingly good performance by Efron, Wes Bentley, and Emily Radikowski. Emily Radikowski? Holy she's in that? Holy shit. I gotta <laughs> check it out. Do you know this movie, We Are Your Friends? Yeah, he plays uh, like a. He, we've seen trailers for it. He plays like a, a DJ at, at, for a bunch like raves or something, right? Like, we, oh, we, okay, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. What would she play um, in it? Probably just someone who, someone who dances around. That's all I need to know. Hmm. Uh, John Bernthal. 
uh, I really liked in a movie. I don't normally like him because maybe because of Walking Dead. Uh, but he, you know, yeah. he's oh. so John Bernthal's the guy that seduces Emily Blunt in Sicario. Yeah, Sheen. Yeah, yeah, and I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a great part in a movie called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl as this tattooed, cool, like history teacher, <laughs> which is not really the kind of part you'd see him getting cast in. But he's he's, he's hilarious in that. Uh, I, I I've decided I like him. So I'm on, you know what? I guess I'm gonna have to see this. We are your friends movie. He's good in Wolf of Wall Street. He's in Wolf of Wall Street. Wow, I don't remember that. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He Wait, plays not We Are Your Friends. Kid. What is the name of the movie, Dingus? What are you talking about? The movie that, that never... you just mentioned with John Bernthal and Emily Ratajkowski. No, it's We Are Your Friends. Okay. We Are Your Friends. Mm-hmm. All right. Good to know. Uh, Arden Sandlin's number one pick is The Empty Swimming Pool in the Masterful Deep End from 1970. I don't know what this is. Damn. The emptiness and very sudden non-emptiness of the pool the main characters Mike and Susan work in play key part in the climax of the film. Regards, Arden Sutherland. Man, he's doing 70s cinema. Kelly Wan, I'm disappointed yeah. you don't know what that is. I, I suck. Have no I haven't seen any movies. We shouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, you've seen movies with I like... expect that quote to appear on Kelly Wan fan club soon. We should not have a podcast. Yeah. I'm the Trump of movie knowledge. <laughs> there, I said it. Let's move on. Grant Stewart. Here are the three finest scenes involving empty swimming pools. Number three, Pitch Perfect. The karaoke... Spe- karaoke spe- they're not karaoke, Grant. <laughs> Dingus is mad before he even... No, Dingus has a point. That is terrible. Pitch Perfect is not a karaoke movie. <laughs> Grant, Grant, Uh-oh. Dingus put Grant in jail just for that. This is Akasurd. <laughs> All right. All right. Pitch Perfect, the karaoke specialists have a back-and-forth sing-off competition in an empty swimming pool. Anna Kendrick dials up the adorable to unbearable levels. Is this the one Tom was getting so excited about? Usually. Do you remember last week you said, if you guys pick mine, I'm going to... I know. I, I actually, I the moment you said it, Dingus, I knew all three of my picks, and I thought Neon Demon was the one you guys were going to pick. We're going to steal. From I, I, yeah, Neon Demon is the one that I actually started writing about this for. Um, mm. And then Ricochet, I, I just, I, I couldn't resist walking, watching Ricochet again because it's just such a weird John Lithgow porn. All right, uh, so Grant Stewart, not karaoke. You're on my list. No, it's all uh, in jail. Don't just put him on a list. Jail him. Dingus, have the eternal attorney general appoint a special prosecutor. Special prosecutor. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're going to be in jail. I'm, when I get lock well, him up, I'm already. Lock, lock. Yeah, you're going. I'm, you know, <laughs> you're going to jail. Carry uh, that's how Carry justice up. works. Number two, Grant Stewart, Poltergeist. Saw this movie for the first time about a year or so ago. <laughs> okay. Because it's not a pool yet. I know. We'll see if Dingus then, throws him um, in jail. Let's see if justice. If then it's a, full later. Let's see if justice is done here, Kelly Wand. Go ahead, Dingus. Yeah. I uh, saw it about a year or so ago, and maybe I missed the window because it seemed like there was overwhelming evidence of a ghost. But they continued in the premise they weren't sure. They almost deserve to drown when they end up in the evacuated hole for the swimming pool. Because <laughs> uh, it's just—it's not uh, even a pool yet. There's no tile laid. Yeah, it's just a, it's a place where a swimming pool is going to be, but that's like saying, you know, a three by three of your favorite houses, and you choose the spot where the house is going to be built later. No, it's not. Yeah. Cool. Mm. 
Yeah. So, Dingus, right. as the prosecuting attorney, that's my argument, that he should be imprisoned. You're the judge. Well, he's certainly not getting any time off for good behavior after that karaoke thing. Grant Stewart is really public enemy number one for this 3x3 three three so far. But that's an honor. Grant's number one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This doesn't sound good, Kelly Wan. Dingus is already exasperated. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. It might be AWOL or AWOL. Um, I believe this may have been called Lionheart. Yeah, okay, Lionheart. All right. Yeah, I, I know this scene. Lionheart in some regions. It's a 1990 Jean-Claude Van Damme movie about fighting. Oh. Go figure. <laughs> what, else? Um, yeah, what, what else would a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie be about? <laughs> it might have been about Hamlet. One scene involves a prize fight in a swimming pool between two guys in matching unitards. Super gay. All right, Grant, you're not getting out of jail anytime soon. I'm sorry. I'm going to actually send this email to the guys in jail. Uh, JCVD also wore one of those unit charts in Bloodsport, so I would posit that this is no coincidence and that JCVD simply loves a unitard. Again, newsflash. First of all, it's not an empty swimming pool. It's a partially em- empty swimming pool. The, the fight... The, the the pool has some water in it. That's the point, because the, he can they can kind of drown each other. And Grant didn't Stewart, the unitar- didn't the yeah, unitar- they're, they're in blow, matching blow, blow they're in matching black unitards. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Wasn't he a domestic terrorist? The unitard. Wow, wow! Just Man, the guys. The mind of Kelly Wand is just an awesome thing to behold. Is this thing on? <laughs> yeah. What's this yeah. <laughs> All right, Grant. Uh, you're going into the hole. Sorry. Unitard. Uh, next we have Andrew C. Uh, hi, guys. Andrew, a.k.a. Didums from Quarter 3. Great. Here's a quote from my favorite film with an empty pool. Look at your suntan. It's leather, like your leather man, your skin. We could make a fucking suitcase out of you, like a crocodile. Fat crocodile, fat bastard. You look like fucking Idi Amin, you know what I mean? Sorry about that. Reading this cold. In the extremely unlikely event no one's picked that yet, it's Sexy Beast. Oh, sorry. Mm. Uh, With Ben Kingsley in peak form. I can't imagine this went unpicked. You're right. But regardless, I can't wait to hear Christian's Ben Kingsley. Well, you didn't. You heard me just stumbling over yours. I apologize, Andrew. Say, Dingus, at least you know his name. Ben Kingsley's. That's a good point. I forget All the right. Unitard's uh, name. How about if I do this? Yes, Roundtree. Yes, Grosvenor. Needs a little bit more bite, but you're getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, thanks so much for the movie podcast. You're welcome, Andrew C. I'm sorry I stumbled so much over the dialogue, and I missed the whole uh, it's like leather man, your skin. Hmm. And next we have Nick D. Yeah. Hi guys, just one this week. The creepy empty pool at the end of Poltergeist oh, that Joe Beth Williams falls into. I love how the rain Damn you listeners the, the pool all muddy and slippery and the rainwater is collecting at the bottom. That's I was wondering if, you go, if, if one of you would pick like a, a pond that had been drained or something. Pond be better for you, Carl. So Nick, um, you might have to you know, visit Grant for a little minute. Uh, next, we have Chris Markinson. 
Hey, guys. Sadly, I could only think of three empty pools, which have probably already been chosen. Number three, the ice storm. Sweet. I win. I'm guessing that Tom has chosen this one. Yeah. But in case he didn't, Christina Ricci rides her bike to an empty swimming pool where Elijah Wood is waiting for her. Oh, that's right. There's an earlier scene at the pool. I knew that I was thinking of Christina Ricci looking at him. He goes back when there's ice on it. Chris Markinson, thank you so much. Hooray for Markinson. It's in their toilet. Hooray for Markinson. <laughs> uh, number two, Neon Demon. Sweet. So far, Markinson's oh, like oh. one, no, one and, uh, no, two and, oh for two, or Let's whatever. Let's just move. <laughs> oh for two. Wow. You in sports. He's batting a thousand. There, I got one. Yeah, a thousand. Here we go. I was going to ask what your batting average was. Uh, Near the end of the movie, Elle Fanning is standing on a diving board above an empty swimming pool. Jenna Malone walks into the pool, and the two women talk. The height difference with Fanning on the diving board and Malone at the bottom of the pool is very nice. The empty pool plays a role in a scene soon after, but that would be a spoiler. Chris leaves it off as you did, Tom. Jenna Malone is so good in that movie. Hey, if uh, Ang Lee married Lily Sabisky, her name would be Lily Lee. Does that help? <laughs> You're welcome, Markinson. Chris Markinson's number one. Caddyshack. <laughs> Chris, you were doing so well. Oh, Markinson, he goes low in the end. I'm so disappointed. He got one. gave one to each of us, except Dingus. Dingus didn't get one, except huh? Except for me, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we matched for three a couple of weeks ago. So no, no ricochet for you, dingus. Two out of a mm. thousand. After a baby Ruth is tossed into the swimming pool at the country club, it is mistaken for poop, yeah. and the pool gets drained of its water. Bull Murray is scrubbing the pool when he picks up the chocolate bar, and after sniffing it, he takes a bite of it, causing Ted Knight's wife to faint. Thanks, Snick guys. Mounds is also kind of poop-shaped. Or I'll enjoy sometimes, it. sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. It is. Yeah. All right. That's all we've got, ladies and gentlemen. All right. You guys ready for next week's three by three? Wait, I had one alternate. Oh, right. I thought. Okay. Yep. Go ahead. I had Ace Ventura, even though I think it's not a very good movie, and it's really a an emptied aquarium tank. So maybe it doesn't count. But it's a swimming pool for the fish that lived in it. The dolphins. No, an aquarium is like a submarine for fish. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. But it only it has the only other good line in that movie where he's like, if I'm not back in five minutes, just wait longer. That was Jim Carrey. <laughs> all right, that was worth it, Kelly Wand. I approve. See? Do you guys remember Con Air at all? Yeah, every night. Con Air rules. Dude, Tom doesn't get it. Wow. Uh, Con Air with air. That's what it means. I can't think English. of a single time that if I were to ever sit down and watch Con Air, it wouldn't be a better idea to instead sit down and watch Armageddon. Ugh. No. That's absolutely true. Got... Con, Air, Con Air is a pain in the neck. What? Zipper. It's got such a great cast. There's so many people in it doing exciting things. No, Armageddon but we're talking about, right? ass. It is oh. such ass. Armageddon's watched, about a rock blowing up. Big I watched it because of which one of you jokers talked about like walking away from explosions. Was that you, Kelly? Yeah, of course. I watched that whole stupid movie just because of that. I don't think you understood it. I didn't. Did Kieran see it? 
he's the one who got me to watch it again. See, always listen to Kiernan. He's got the Do you answers. remember the empty pool scene in Con Air? No, I don't. Does it crash into one when they get to Vegas? No, there's this creepy, totally out of nowhere scene where That's do you Con remember Steve, Steve Buscemi's character? Yeah, he's the lovable child molester. Ch- the lovable child molester goes and has a tea party with a little girl in an empty swimming pool next to a trailer park. Oh, that's yeah. in a swimming pool. Ew, gross. Dingus, I have to take a shower now. Gross. I got to wash that a, off of me. It's in a kiddie pool. Like, there's a kiddie pool, and it's all decrepit and awful and gross. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you cannot f- figure out for the life of you why in the world are we having this scene. And they're singing a, 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 a hymn um, uh about you know, like uh, Michael row your boat ashore. Not that I, that's not a hymn, but they're singing some sort of hymn. But oh, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's what they're singing. It's not a hymn. He's got the whole world in his hands. And with this poor little white trash girl and Steve Buscemi having this weird little. That's the best time of her life. She gets to meet a movie star. <laughs> she gets to use the pool for something. See what you're doing, Dingus. See what you're enabling. <laughs> Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> and the other runner-up would be at the beginning of Casino Royale. I don't remember this, but there's this uh, mongoose battle in in a weird empty swimming pool before his uh, parkour thing. Mongo- like mongoose, like literal mongooses fighting each other. Oh, oh, mongoose versus cobra. Right? Mongoose and cobra. It's like it's like the uh, the equivalent of like a cockfight or a dogfight, uh, except all these guys are hanging around at this empty swimming pool watching a mongoose. And I remember this because Ricky Tikkanabi is one of my favorite stories. Yeah, anything. and cartoons. Yeah. Uh, all right. It, it, an Italian pool. guy. Tom's like, all right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kelly. When an Italian guy walks into a bar and says, go ahead. He said to me, he was making an analogy about corporate uh, business structures, but the exact quote he said was, if you go to bed with children, you wake up covered in shit. That was your Italian accent. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how they talk. Always checking their phones. I love them. Uh, let Always me give you well guys pressed. next week's three by three. Now we've done dramatic devices before, like flashbacks or montages or MacGuffins. This is another dramatic device, uh, and I want your three favorite examples of it. Um, Anton Chekhov, the playwright, uh, once wrote, "If you say in the first chapter there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter it absolutely must go off. If it's not going to be fired, it shouldn't be hanging there." Now, what this is often referring to is, in a movie, a callback to a memorable event or object, generally an object, oh, where, you realize, where you realize that it was there for a reason, like later in the movie. So, it's a common dramatic device. I want your favorite examples of it in movies. Uh, I'm, you know, go ahead and get, I mean, this, there's obviously some license to play here, so run with it. Give me what, what you like. Is your You're favorite. talking about Chekhov's guns? Yeah, yeah, sorry if I didn't say it yet. So, the idea is Chekhov's gun. Is this idea? Didn't we already, do this already? No already way! Did it. we shoot a monkey? We did not do it. Yeah, I remember this coming up because I'm like, oh, he's it. gonna do an, a spinoff of Chekhov's guns. We did not do Chekhov's guns. Did we make it I guns remember. though? No. That you want it to be a gun, Chekhov's? Gun? No, it doesn't it has, have to be guns. It has to be a firearm. All right, fine. Chekhov's guns. It was your. Uh-huh. I, I remember the Kelly wand and made us do. What kind of things did we pick? My, my topic. I think it was for Rum Dye. Dingus, quit stealing my topics. It was a long time ago. I've only moved to many countries since then. The other one I had is stupid. Woken up in a lot of shit. I have a lot of stupid ones. 
This is like one that <laughs> Kelly Wand would do. Well, we could do it again. Nope, nope. No? Nope. Because I was going to pick the loader from Aliens, and I thought I was awfully clever. Here we go. <laughs> Kelly was proud about that. I have a lot of stupid ones. No, I, yeah. got, a, I got a stupid one. Why can't you just be... Pre- have we done whispering? I don't have a palette. We haven't done whispering? whispering, right? We haven't, have we? No, we haven't. Okay. That's no, Kelly but one. I like that. I think I, I think I have that on my list of one to-dos. Well, you don't anymore because I'm picking it. All right, what I meant to say, next week's 3x3, you know when people talk in a normal voice, that's called talking. When they do it more quietly, that's (laughs) called whispering. What I want are your favorite examples of that in a movie. You know how uh, Anton Chekhov uh, said if someone whispers in the first act, they got to talk in a normal tone of voice by the third act. So, uh, you know, Tom Chick. Oh, I can't I'd it. love that you defined whispering for us. I'm so happy right now. Yeah, just so Kelly Wan knows. i got to make it clear for him. Uh, so if you have some... Oh, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> questions. No, no questions, Kelly Wan. Look up... What? Go, uh, go to Wikipedia and read oh, the I like this. On I whispering. really like this, actually. So does this a sigh... Kelly Wan, okay. check, check Wikipedia. Just whispering is whispering. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> if the listeners What's have any whispers... Have any whispers, and it, and it can be, it, you know, you don't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to know. I'm not even going to say anything because I was going to give away something. I'm not going to. Send your favorite whispers or instances <laughs> of whispering to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and I, Tom Chick, will read them on the air of the Quarter to Three movie podcast for the movie American Honey, which is what we're seeing Ooh. next week. I am the only person on this podcast who is who has seen Andrea Arnold's uh, Red Road. You jokers didn't see that because you don't like Kate Dickey as much as I do. But we Ooh, all. We, I love Kate Dickey. I don't. I don't even know what this movie is. The thing is, you don't love Kate Dickey if you haven't seen Red Road. Um, all right, you're fair, fair enough. So Isn't that a three-part thing, though? Red no. Road? No, it is not. You might be thinking of Red Violin or something like that. What's uh, the Andrew Garfield thing that's three parts? Spider-Man anyway, Two. Stop it. Uh, there are three villains in Spider-Man Two. It's three parts. It's Rhino, Electro, and. Uh, the, the, the other guy that's in that isn't Andrew Garfield one of his early things Matthew, some English thing that's like three parts called Red Road or something White <sighs> Avenue Blue yeah, never Bar- mind Boulevard but anyway Andrea Arnold's latest movie is called American Honey uh, we're going to see that next week you should see it as well and if you have any observations or questions or things you want us to talk about or things you want to tell us we would love to hear them send those in a separate email to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Make sure you say in the in the subject header, hey, this isn't 3x3, this is about uh, American Honey, so dingus, read this before you get to the 3x3. Put some variation of that in the subject header. We'll read that uh, on the air. So join us next week for a discussion of American Honey and our 3x3 of Whispering. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClansky. It's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. If Sheedolf married Gandalf, her name would be Sheedolf. This is like listening to Beaker. That's how I said it's Charlie Brown's mom calling us. Yep. Weep, weep, weep.
Well, Dingus, I guess this podcast music just wound down audibly. I have a lot of questions about all of the things you just said. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Finally, that line makes sense to me. Except for the last one.